Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Tomorrow's the budget, so all of the papers are talking and anticipating. There's probably been leaks here and there, and they're trying to work out exactly what will be announced. But front page of making the mail today, if you do the sums on it, the left hand and the right hand, the Fiverr budget, they're calling it. Why the Fiverr budget? Because they're saying that pretty much the budget will, will be a very modest package worth a five euro increase to middle and lower paid workers, a fiver, and pensioners too, at least a fiver, and welfare recipients, a fiver, an increase in the fuel allowance. You get where I'm going with this, don't you? A fiver. The living alone allowance, a fiver. The qualified child payments, a fiver increase, um, and so on and so forth. But for that fiver, of course, in the one hand that you're getting, that's been completely and utterly smacked in the face, eradicated, wiped out, deleted because of fuel increases, energy costs. I mean, you just look at, and and we're going to see a petrol hike as well tomorrow, um, you know, for petrol and diesel. So you give it one hand, but take back much, much more with the other hand. So the fiver budget straight away will be wiped out. And, and, you know, if you need a car and you have to have a car to get around it, it's a petrol or a diesel one. Of course, you've seen in six or eight months, the price of petrol particularly go from 112 to 165, which is insane. Uh, now, the mirror this morning also talks about pubs and nightclubs who are going to get extra COVID cash next year. It's a budget, it's a, it's a tourism package, a, a boost to tourism. And they're going to throw a hundred million at it. Uh, so pubs and nightclubs will continue to get extra COVID cash, according to uh, the Mirror today. And, you know, they talk about pensioners and social welfare recipients and, and things like that. And ordinary workers uh, will see, um, if you're looking at a fiver a week, uh, that's probably in and around, they're saying, 250 a year, ta- tinkering with the tax bans and what have you. But Norma Foley is looking to get a thousand extra um, SNAs, special needs assistance within our schools. And God knows that's needed. I mean, there isn't, you know, there isn't a week goes by and certainly it's a big topic of conversation on this here radio program from time to time. Special needs assistance and places for kids uh, with with special needs who can be taught in mainstream, mainstream schools. So the Sun also today talks about the fact that two out of three workers will get the cash boost. But if you think it's anything you can spend on anything at all, uh, think again. I see actually, interestingly, uh, that uh, Colin Burke, the TD, once... Um, no packet of cigarettes to be sold without more than 20 in it. And they say, you know, like you can get a, a, a box of 23 and a box of 27 and a box of 35. Now, I imagine fags probably will be hit tomorrow. I don't know about drink, probably not, but certainly fags. So Colin Burke is saying there should be a law now that no more than 20 cigarettes could, should be sold in a box because the bigger boxes with the more fags are better value, apparently. Like, for instance, it says that a 20-pack of Benson and Hedges costs fourteen fifty, whereas a 27-pack costs eighteen eighty. So I wonder whether that will fly and uh, what you guys think of it uh, as smokers. I can remember... <coughs> Back in the day, actually, when they got rid of the 10 box of fags, that was Micheál Martin. There was murder over that. But like everything in this country, people forget and they get used to it. Um, we never get used to rising ICU cases or indeed rising uh, A&D weight, people sitting on, on trolleys or seats or benches. But the number of people in intensive care with COVID is up 20% week on week. And that's the story that makes uh, this morning's mirror as we continue the countdown uh, to uh, the 20... Is it 22nd or 21st of October? Sometimes I get brain freeze when it comes to dates, when it comes to stuff to do with, uh, you know, COVID and 
date, dates and changes. But one of the things about COVID-19, 22nd of August, thanks, Eamon. One of the things about uh, COVID-19 and the uh, last 20 months is the amount of relationships that failed or broke down. And the Mirror this morning says that there is a tsunami of separations on the way. I might actually update on that one with, um, you know, perhaps Vicky Buckley or uh, one of the legal eagles on Lisa just to see how true that is. But they're saying that Ireland's facing an increase in separations and divorce after relationship breakdowns due to COVID-19. So that's a story that makes the papers today. If that's the case, we should see solicitors who deal with uh, marital breakup busier at this time of the year. Uh, and then um, I see the papers also talking about uh, the students who uh, are so short of cash that they have to get food from penny dinners or indeed went to the UCC food bank that ran out of food film last week. They managed to feed 100 and then ran out. But apparently Aldi have donated a thousand euro to UCC students food banks. And it also begs the question, if supermarkets in general are doing enough to help the hungry and the poor in that regard. I know I dealt with it about uh, 10 days ago, maybe a fortnight ago, with regards to the amount of food. I think it might have more to do with deli counters, hot food, fresh food, literally, and and restaurants too, and, and takeaways, I think, throwing the food away at the end of the day, which seems like a terrible waste to me. Also, the examiner tell us that the amount of Gardaí uh, in Ireland continues to decrease. I wonder if that's got to do with retirement. Uh, like, for instance, um, the Garda strength now stands at 14,369 nationally from a height of 14,750 in March of 2020. So you're seeing a reduction of a few hundred there at least. And some of those Garda Shikona will be involved in the dig in the Dublin mountains. But a lot of the red tops this morning, leading with uh, the disappearance of Deirdre Jacob, Jojo Dullard and Annie McCarrick. And we know the chief suspect in that is Larry Murphy. So there's a new dig in acres of land in County Kildare. They figure it will go on for some weeks. And apparently, I don't know what the Garda wording of it was, but it's along the lines of credible information that have come to the Garda and to detectives in recent times. And you know how we were talking about referees and abuse of the ref and the shouting and roaring and the fighting and the brawling at some matches? Not rugby, though. Not rugby, but certainly soccer. But this one is a GAA match. It was an under-10s game above an... Uh, sorry, an under-15s game above in County Wicklow. You may have seen the brawling video footage at the weekend. It erupted during the game. <coughs> the video footage went viral, as the fellow says, and players and coaches and adults were invo- all involved in the confrontation. It was far more than a row. It was pushing and shoving and fisticuffs. And that makes the red tops today. Oh, and be very careful. We all love our children and you got to tell them when they're doing well and you got to praise them. They, they used to say it's better to be praising than criticizing. But hold on. There's research out now saying that, you know, uh, overly complimenting or overly praising your children can actually be harmful to your little darlings. According to the mail this morning, academics... <laughs> With a lot of time on their hands, I imagine, academics are saying that excessive amounts of praise can actually stop a child from trying harder. So you are are damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Ain't it true? Tough being a parent these days, isn't it, in the modern world? The Neil Prenderville Show. All right, um, traffic at a complete stop on the Middleton to Cork Road for whatever reason, I don't know, but bear in mind, it could well be uh, some kind of an issue on the road itself, but if anybody has any information, do let us know. But also an ambulance just flew up the road just there before 9 o'clock. Massive delays near the Water Rock turnoff. So obviously that's probably the reason why there are big tailbacks. Bad ways to start the week for you guys, but be patient. You'll get there in the end. Now, on Friday, oh, the laughs we had on Friday morning. And I have to say, 
I was getting texts myself all weekend long and I know that we shared part of uh, the in-studio video of my conversation with Keith um, who broke his false teeth and was looking to get them replaced in time for his granddaughter's communion on Friday. Oh, people just loved it. They were really drinking their tears. Uh, This is just a little section of Friday morning's programme before we ran out of time at midday. You don't sound as if you're talking to me without teeth in, though, Keith. I know it's a need that I'm used to without them all the time. I'm going to talk to you when been talking to me like that. Is it fair to me? No, I can talk to you normally for talking to you. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, I've been practicing since I was... My neighbour doesn't know, know Kathleen, and she's going to get, I'm going to try her ones then. Do you want to try them while you're talking to me there? Kathleen? Kathleen? Have you got five teeth there on you? Give us your five seat there, the stick there. You better wash them first. I know, she's kind. Kathleen is botches. You can't put them in unless you wash them first. Hold down the stick. Hold down the stick. I just trying to get them in. Stop. Stop. I'm in pain in my rib. Stop. That was Friday. Uh, I was mad keen to find out how he got on. Uh, but we ran out of time. Um, and I don't know whether we even got to the communion in the end. But let's find out. Keith! I need how's it going? Uh, how, how did it go on Friday? I ran out of time. I'm mad keen for an update. Well, I got I got to the company. I see the, the brother-in-law came down. I put his teeth in. With a bit of glue. <laughs> right? No. When I put them in, you do one center as hard, and like a fill with a pipe in my mouth. <laughs> that center as hard, but it was all right. I, I, we went for the dinner. I didn't, I didn't smile at any of the last night. Tell the truth. So and Kathleen's didn't fit. You didn't Kathleen go to, didn't. you didn't go to the dentist on Barrack Street. You super glued in your brother-in-laws. I did, so he's sitting across here, but he's here since Friday, and he won't go without his teeth. Uh, that was going to ask you, what's he been doing without teeth? He's here since Friday, <laughs> he's been from the follow. <laughs> Can, I, I mean, are they stuck? They're stuck, stuck. <laughs> They're what? They're stuck. I, talk out to, I have to talk out to my mouth, I can't get them out of my your mouth, mouth. your mouth is all to one side like the town of Fromoy, so is it? You know what it's like? No. I'm going to find a bit of pipe in my mouth, mate. So, they're stuck to the roof of your mouth, are they? They're stuck to the roof of my mouth. That's why they call it super glue. So, didn't we read the back there afterwards and they said it's life down? What? Why don't you get the Why don't you get the back of a spoon and and try and kind of jimmy them out? Did you not think we didn't do it? Me, <laughs> every half hour he's doing it to me, the brother. <laughs> I can't eat. He's not eating at all now. So he hasn't a tooth in his mouth. So what's he been eating? I suppose he's just been having soup. Is it? He was like myself. Yesterday we went up with the vegetable soup, and we had the vegetable soup without <laughs> vegetables. For people who weren't listening on Friday, they broke, didn't they? Yours broke. What? Yeah. what why don't you go over to the dentist on Barrack Street? Uh, his name escapes me. What was his name? Tony. Tony. Bring your yeah. own broken one, and he'll get your brother-in-laws out. He he'll have some sort of a way of jimming them out. You reckon me? I think he's the professional for the job. Well, oh. I, I'm, I'm drinking a load of hot tea, you know, trying to lose it, you know. 
Did anybody did anybody notice at the was it a communion or confirmation? Forgive me. It was a confirmation. Me granddaughter. Did anyone it. notice? Uh, they didn't even know me, mum. What did your What did your granddaughter say? She was all right. I kept it closed when she was only. She was <laughs> giving me the dirty look. All right, the other. I said I say nothing here. No, I said. So has your brother-in-law lost a load of weight then? Because he can't eat. He's sitting across here. He's demented. <laughs> He's not even talking properly. Need. He can't talk to me, no. You know, ask him. You know, ask him. Ricky, you want to talk to me? He can't talk, he said, bye. Because you've been talking to me that time. Yeah, yeah. I go mad over him, but Neil. You know, if I get my cheer and I give him back to him, he said, you wouldn't give me a voucher for a pizza, would you? I will, I will. I will. I give him a voucher for the crustiest, crispiest pizza I can get, <laughs> and he can mu- he can munch and chomp away to his heart's delight. <laughs> so we were so we were stuck in the vegetable soup with the straw, with the peas and the carrots were getting stuck in the straw. Just like me. That's not. There's no, time. there's no way you're going to shift false teeth that have been put in with super glue. I only told you. I didn't say super glue them to your mouth. I said super glue the broken bit. Oh, Jesus, I picked it up wrong. Now you're listening. You probably use the glue to cement them onto the roof of your mouth. Yeah, it was one but I'm up by a couple of mil. <laughs> what? I, I just, I'm up by a couple of mil. We didn't get them fairly straight at all, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to get a photograph, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> so will you give him a peek? Wait, no, wait. What? <laughs> yeah. And pizza need with no with no meat, it's That's called. Would you tell him that's called a margarita pizza? Yeah, <laughs> cheese and tomato pizza. <laughs> Do you know what he could eat without teeth, and it'd be lovely Chester cake. Chester, and you know what? No, that's a, is that up Bill's shop up the road there. You should go up to Bill's and get him a big slab of pizza. Or sorry, Chester cake. Because <laughs> it's nice and soft and mushy for a man without teeth. You reckon that Lumineen? I think it'll stave off the hunger pangs until you get the yeah. teeth out of your mouth. Go over to Tony, will you? Go over to Barrack Street. Get it sorted. He'd have some kind of a gadget or a gadgetarian yeah. to get them out. I, I use in the back of the spoon only, but I'm after bending the spoon about three or four things. I'm not some spoon at all. Tony says he has a dental lab. Um, we're not sure the name of it, but uh, he he will be he will be able to sort you. He really will, because um, you want. I'm, I don't feel so bad for you anymore. Now it's your brother-in-law. I'm feeling bad for the misfortune. <laughs> Yeah, he'd be already. Right. He'd, he'd, right, yeah. he'd no fish supper over the weekend or anything. He had no fish supper over the Okay, what are you going to do? I, I, I think I'll need, I'm going to give him a couple of bubbles there. Because when I'm the crack here on you in the house, you know, and I'll wait another few hours, and when I get a small, if I get a small machine or something, I might go the extra bit in, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't want, I don't want to be part of that because I don't want any kind of bleeding or cutting or soreness or anything. It could be awful. The pain yeah. of the superglue, yeah, seriously. With, yeah, with the crowd, I'd be drinking and getting off your teeth with other freaking parts or not. <laughs> you, can, you, can, <laughs> you can rinse it out and disinfect it with Murphy's or Beamish or something. 
<laughs> all right, well, listen, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you later on and see how it's going, all right? If I were you, I'd seek medical intervention, but you know best. I have no medicine, I've got nothing to use. I'll try something anyway. <laughs> Good luck, I'll talk to you later on. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850 104 106. Red FM. Calls on the way. A massive response to different topics of conversation last week. Huge amounts of emails and texts. Now we're talking about um, people on the sideline. My eight year old son plays underage rugby and has been playing since he was five. From day, I was asking, what's the difference between why refs don't get any grief in rugby and they do in soccer? Uh, from day one of training in rugby, it's instilled into the kids how they must respect the referee and never ever talk back to the ref. Most parents played themselves when they were young, so they understand that this is the way things are done. I don't know how GAA or soccer training goes, but maybe if the kids were taught to show respect from a young age, then there wouldn't be abuse of refs in those sports. I guess I'll off of text saying that uh, many people watch the Premiership, and of course then when they play themselves as young kids, or indeed, unfortunately, the parents themselves, they see all of the shouting and roaring from the sideline, or the players squaring up to the ref, and the kids mimic it. At junior games and uh, and underage games and what have you, uh, I went to a game last week. The ref knew the, and the ref knew all the other team by first names, and all decisions went to the other team. Refs need to treat all teams equally. That's where grief will start. I think you have a problem with the refs in soccer is because that is what they see on television. But in rugby, players don't shout at the ref because it won't be tolerated. If you watch any Premier League game, you will see players, coaching staff, and fans abusing the ref. Uh, morning. What about the Liverpool fans spitting at the Man City coaching staff last week? Um, I know you're a Liverpool fan uh, now and might not want to bring it up. Well, I'd be kind of a, I would be a laissez-faire Liverpool fan. Some would be dead in the dead in the world Liverpool fans and soccer fans. Wouldn't be my number one sport, but I, you know, I, I don't watch a whole lot of matches and I didn't see that one. Uh, the reason for all the abuse at football matches compared to non-football, say at rugby, is because rugby is a hooligans game played by gentlemen. Football is a gentleman's game played by hooligans. That's a good one, Rudy. I've heard that before. Uh, keep in common. Text 0868104106. We were talking on Friday uh, to Romez, uh, who'd been up in the A&D for over 13 hours with his 15-year-old and was still waiting to be dealt with. This is not a criticism of the staff. I know I say that over and over again because they're trying to do the best they can, but there just ain't enough of them. Uh, it prompted a huge response from people with recent, with uh, with uh, similar stories, I have to say, from others in the same boat. Uh, Jessica, good morning. Morning. Morning to you. When you say attended the CUH, the A&D, I imagine, at the CUH, am yeah. I right? Yeah, okay. Why, mm-hmm. why was that? Did you have an accident or something? No, so I tend there on. Can I just can I just stop you for one moment because I just want to update there on a, on a, an issue on our, on our roads this morning before it's out of date. But it was refer- referencing uh, coming in from the east there an accident at Bally Rickard turnoff on the dual carriageway. Um, there's a car facing the wrong way with the roof cut off, lads, and there's ambulance and fire brigade on site. There's about a 35 minute delay at least, so people are now starting to take back roads from Middleton. Uh, to avoid the traffic. So coming from the east, and indeed I imagine going uh, going the opposite way, that's the reason why a very, very bad accident with ambulance and fire brigade, fire brigade on the way. Uh, so people are taking back roads from Middleton to Carrig to avoid the traffic. Thanks to the punter who texted that in. I appreciate it. Sorry, Jessica, what, why were you in A&E? Um, so I, um, my doctor advised me to attend there because I had a bad migraine but I couldn't feel the feeling in the left 
my left arm. Yeah, so that would be... me to attend the CUH. Yeah, that would be a worry, wouldn't it? Yeah. You'd be worried, if, you'd be worried about stroke, to be honest, wouldn't you? Well, my sister had one two years ago and she was um, fully, fully disabled from it. Oh, from a stroke? From a stroke, yeah. Oh, my God. Poor misfortune. Anyway, you were right then to go. And uh, tell us about the experience. So I came there the Tuesday, the 21st, and must have been about half past three. So I was sitting there until quarter to six in the morning, quarter to five in the morning before they saw me. So the doctor saw me quarter to five to tell me it was just a headache, a migraine. And I said, it's not. I said, I suffer from migraines. I said, there's something wrong. I said, this is unusual with the hand. So he said, no, these are the effects of a migraine. So he put me on pain relief and sent me home. So that was from half past three until in the afternoon until just before 5 a.m. the following morning. You would have been checked morning. by someone when you went into the a first, though, would you? Um, I got took to the triage room, um, sat in a pod, and I just got my blood taken. That was it. Okay, okay. Okay, so do you get anything for the pain or anything like that, no? No, not the Tuesday. I actually had to get my own paracetamol because I'd asked a numerous amount of times for two paracetamol and I never got them until early hours of the morning. I don't know yeah, why that would be. Own. I don't know why that would be unless paracetamol might be a risky business to give someone who hadn't been treated. I don't know. Um, it, it could equally no, have been I that don't know either. they could have um, forgot or been too busy. But you were sent home anyway. Sent home. Yeah. So... I was no better the Wednesday, no better the Thursday. Um, I collected my kids from school on Friday. And as I came out the school gate, I completely lost the feeling in my face and I couldn't speak. My God, this is getting yeah. worse. This is getting worse. Yeah, so I had an ambulance had to be called. So I was taken by ambulance on Friday. Well, when, you, when you were at the school gate, who was with you? My daughter, she's 17. And did she, so she witnessed what happened, did she? She, yeah. So you couldn't, were you just mumbling? I couldn't even mumble. I just couldn't get my words out. She must have got it. I mean, you must have got a shock, but she must have got an awful fright seeing her mum like that. Yeah, she did. She got an awful fright. But she was very good. Do you know, she walked, she she just said, it's okay. Do you know, and I kind of came around as fast, I'd say 20, 30 seconds. And I was able to get my words out. Okay, okay. So what did you do next? Um, my mum's house is only around the corner, so I got to my mum's. Um, I had to ring my GP, but I, by this stage I couldn't lift my head, so we had ring the A&E department to say... Was that, that because of the pain, or because you just didn't have... Uh, the, pain, any- the pain, and because I had no feeling in my face and hands, and I think I was starting to panic. Okay. Okay. So we contacted the A&E and the doctor came on and he told me to get an ambulance straight away. So right. we rang the ambulance, they came. I was taken to the COH and from then it was a nightmare. There was, oh my God. We got to the ambulance bay, there was eight ambulances. The place was just chock-a-block. So I sit outside. Um, a nurse told the paramedic to take me around to the front of the A&E so 
nobody could move inside there. There was just people everywhere. So I sat in a seat outside the main door till I was called in. How long was that? I wasn't out there. I would say about 15, 20 minutes. Okay. And I was called in by the triage nurse. Um, so she inserted the line and they put me on a pod. What line? This is kind of an IV line or something. Le- sorry, a line into my arm. Okay. For blood and... Okay. Sorry. Yeah. So... I was taken for a CT scan then. It, I can't even know off the top of my head what time that was. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I'm just yeah. trying to get, I'm just trying to find out what they diagnosed. It roughly about four o'clock. So it came 10 that night. And the doctor that had actually treated me on the Tuesday, I saw him passing. So I called him, you know, and he said, are you back in with the headache? And I said, no, I'm not. I said, it's gone to my face. So he took me in where the nurses are and he sat me down. He checked my CT scan to tell me that there was inflammation on the brain. So he said I'd have to stay. I would have to be admitted and I would have to go for an MRI. So back out to the pod I went, um, stayed there for the night, was taken for an MRI on Saturday morning, brought back down to the pod and I chased the results again. You know, I asked them, could they just find out what's going on? Because it's it's fairly scary to be told you'd information on the brain and not know why. And you're alone for all of this now and nobody's with you? No, nobody's with me. So, a half past three, a doctor came to me in the pod. And she had said to me that I had had a mini stroke. That the MRI showed that I had blood clots on the left-hand side of my brain and they showed him a mini stroke. So I got upset and I said to her, like the fact that everybody could hear my business left, right, front and back of me in the pods, that there was no personal space where you're telling somebody bad news and everybody is listening to you in your surroundings. You're upset, yeah. yeah, yeah. I can understand why you're upset, yeah. You're also upset because this, should, this could have been anticipated perhaps on the Tuesday when you were in first. When you went in on the Tuesday um, and were sent home, had you told them that, did you tell them in the A&D that your sister had... Uh, oh, fully, I told them my sister had... Similar had symptoms stroke. that led to a stroke that led to... She was paralysed. Yeah, so I explained the whole situation because my own mum and dad would suffer with their heart. So I had explained family history and especially my sister with the stroke because she was only 38 when she got it. So I fully explained to them do you know, my concern. And how, so then they told you at your mini stroke, it said here that you were left in the chair for over two and a half days yeah, and begged for a trolley me. just to put your head down for a while. Yeah. So I was put back, left in the pod again. Um, and then I had to literally cry to the nurse and say, please, I haven't slept in over two and a half days. Can I please just put my head down somewhere? So she brought me in she picked up my bag and she brought me in where the nurses are to a trolley just to let me have a bit of sleep. Okay. And did you get your head down on the trolley? I did. It was hard, but I was exhausted. Um, after that then, there was no beds, so I was put into an overflow ward. What's that? What is an overflow ward? How does that differ to another ward? It's... Um, it was an infusion where, where gay patients come. Okay. 
so they had a ward just up over a knee where gay patients go and that's where I was put. So on that Friday, which was uh, about a fortnight ago, maybe a little more, there was no yeah. bed in the entire CUH to put somebody who'd had a stroke? No. Yeah, I mean, in the entire CUH, Centre of Excellence, yeah. were all of these wards and all of these different areas. There was no bed. Is there a stroke unit, no? There was none in the stroke unit, no. Okay. Okay, what happened so, next? So I was put into an overflow ward and the doctor from the stroke unit had come to see me. Um, no, he was, he was very good. My own doctor that I had got was very good to me. But the overflow ward was just a disgrace. Um, you had one or two nurses, max, looking after about 20 people. You know, the healthcare assistants were completely ran off their feet. It was just horrific to watch there. How long were you there? Did you get treated? Yeah, I had been there a week. And to be honest, every day I was there, it was just a nightmare. You know, I cried to come home. They fasted me on the Wednesday night to take me for some sort of angiogram. Um, now, an emergency came in, that was totally understandable, but they hadn't told me till four o'clock the following day that it was cancelled, to which then I had got a severe migraine and got severely sick. So when I pressed the buzzer for the nurse, the healthcare assistant came and the nurse was dealing with somebody else. So I had the number to the stroke doctor where I actually rang him to send somebody up to me because I was so severely sick. From the bed? From the bed. You had to use your mobile phone to call for help? Yeah. So I had expressed my concerns to the CUH themselves through email and I had questioned them as to why all this happened. You know, my response was, oh, we will be contacting you within 30 days. And I was upset the fact that 30 days I could have been severely paralysed, if not worse. You could have been severely paralysed when you were sent home on Tuesday. Yeah. Um, And I thought I deserved a small bit of respect to say, we contact you now. I was in the hospital grounds. They could have come up and explained to me why all this happened. But my answer was that they would contact me in 30 days. And you're inside in the bed in the CUH when you got that? And I'm inside in the bed in the CUH, yeah. Hard to believe your story. I believe everything you're saying, a credible person. But it's hard to believe you know, it really is. Yeah, I can is. only I can only put it down to um, not enough staff. Yeah, do you know, I don't, I won't put on the nurses, like, they're amazing over there and they do an amazing job. And the doctors were just simply amazing. Correct, to me. They correct. They really were. Nobody goes to work in any kind of medical setting like that um, to do a bad job. They just don't. Yeah, firstly, they'd be, firstly they'd be found out, I would hope, if they did. So It's completely... It's completely ran so bad over there. Um, this whole situation with COVID and these pods, there's no respect for people over there. The way elderly people are left sitting in the chair for hours upon hours. Yes, I heard that Friday. Yeah, over and I'm over. 35, you know, it took me nearly two days before I, I came down with exhaustion. You know, imagine someone that's 83 in their 70s, severely sick. You would it's lose the will to live. You'd lose the will to live. So, yeah, do you, so do you, do, are you worried now um, that you've had 
a mini stroke, considering what the situation with your sister. Does that bother you now? Are you concerned about that? Or will they will they be able to manage it? Well, they're hoping. Well, how do I, my doctor, my own GP is outstanding to me. Do you know any need help? I need and any reassurance. Um, I'm not reassured from the hospital, if I'm honest. Well, I can understand why you'd be concerned about it, having been sent home with a migraine, having told them about your sister, having told them about your arm problem, your no feeling in your arm, then went on to develop, um, you lost all feeling in your face. Um, yeah, do you know, and I've explained to him I suffered a migraine all my life, so I wouldn't attend the hospital. Do you think that you were going around with a ticking time bomb now? No, well, I, I was treated and they did do, before I left the hospital, they had done a scan and it was actually a blocked artery in my neck and it had it has started to dissolve, thank God, and yeah. it dissolved a good bit. Okay. So I hope, they said I would get a follow-up appointment. I hope I'm not waiting months because I don't think that would be very fair. I think something like this should be kept on top of. Without a doubt, it's your life. Exactly, and I have two small children, so... I'm just, I'm just happy to be talking to you at all. It could have been an awful lot worse when you were sent home. No, thank God, it wasn't. You know, it could have been an awful lot worse at the school gate when you lost feeling in the face and couldn't speak and you, you could have just gone down like a... T- you could have been brain damaged. Yeah. God almighty. That's as you bad as I've that. heard in a long time, Jessica, I can tell you that. Yeah, but in fairness to you, you're talking about yourself, but you're also talking on behalf of those that you witness, people an awful lot older, and the chairs and the pods and being there for days and people who are very elderly in that scenario. Yeah, and that's terrible. Like, you know, and I understand about COVID, you know, I really do. And I know people can't come in with their their family members. So I think that because of that, they should have a bit of respect as well for people that can't have their family members here and give them a bit of privacy. And just finally, absolutely, 100%. Just finally, you, you know the ward you were put into, you said there were h- how many patients in it? Um, it was three rooms. I think it could have been 14 to 20, I think it was. So up to 20, and how many nurses? One, two max. Good God. Sometimes there be there will be one during the night, Um Sometimes two. Oh my God! You would think that there would be six. Yeah, oh, there, there certainly wasn't. No, you think that there should be six. Yeah, there should be. All right. Look after yourself, Jessica. Do stay in touch. But thank you for uh, for sharing that um, very alarming, horrible story. Thank you for that. All right. Thanks. Look after yourself. Cheers. Take bye, care. Bye. Danielle. Good morning. Hi, how are you? Very, very disturbed with a story like that, I can tell you. Um, tell me your own situation. Um, so basically, I have a three-month-old baby girl and or she'd been off her bottles all that day and I rang my GP and he said he was worried about dehydration. Like, like she has reflux, but she was getting sick more so. So uh, he said, right, go straight into a So I don't drive, so I rang an ambulance and the ambulance took nearly an hour to even get here. So I must have rang the ambulance two or three times to ask, like, when they were going to be here. And she was like, oh, they're on their way. What was wrong with your daughter, did you say? She's three months old? She has um, gastro and a viral infection. Okay, all right. 
So um, the ambulance took an hour to get here. I rang three times to ask when they were going to be here. And she said, they're on the way. And I said, where are they coming from? And she said, Tralee. So I said, Tralee. Oh, where do you live? I live in Kerry. I live in Clorglin. Okay. And where, were you trying to get to Cork, is it? No, I was trying to get to Tralee. It's um, my Tralee General Hospital. Okay. Yeah. 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 That was my experience in there. Um, I went in anyway. I was in for half nine. My GP said, oh, you won't be waiting long, especially with a baby that young. So he said, you should be seen straight away. So um, I went in anyway. They did her temperature and stuff. They put me out into the hallway then, and the hallway was just jam-packed. There was trolleys everywhere. There was elderly people thrown up in the trolleys. There was a man sitting in a chair. He was covered in blood, and he was just left sitting there. I didn't know what was wrong with him. But um, it was a while later anyway, and they put me out into the main a and and... The baby was just roaring like she was circle crying and of course I was getting like anxious then because I was like what's wrong with her you know like she hasn't been seen properly yet so I, I kept going up to the reception desk and I kept asking you know will I be seen soon and they were like oh we're very busy and like Amy was jam-packed there, there was an elderly man sitting there with his wife and they must have been in their 70s I'd say and he was there before I got in and he was still there when I was leaving the next morning like it was just shocking to see it like and there was even a woman there as well with a small child thrown across her last bike and she was there all night as well So Tralee General Hospital is no better? No, it was just shocking and I mean my baby was hysterical and then the nurse actually came out to me then a couple of hours later and she was very rude like, she was like I told you you'd be waiting long and I was like well she's so young, you know I'm worried I just want to get her seen like so it was, I'd say, 1 a.m. before the doctor actually came out to me and brought me in to have a look at her and did the bloods and everything. And then he told me it'd be another three to four hours before I get the results back of those. So it was just ridiculous. Like, <sighs> You don't have a South Doc there, or was it too late? I rang South Doc and his advice was give would, her a pod. Would that have done it, do you think? No, I mean, like, I, I went into any. They actually didn't even give me any medication when I was in there for her either. Like, they just sent me home with her, like, and... And they... Who diagnosed gastro and a viral infection then? The doctor in there. He, they, they did um, the urine sample on her and they did the blood sample on her. And, and and so, yeah, it's more to do with the, the, the delay, the chaos, people yeah. of all ages, the length of time, the waiting, the circumstances in which people are waiting in. Yeah, I mean, it's shocking, like, even to hear Jess's story, like, and the severity of her case, and to be left waiting like that, well, just well, appalling. Well, they missed, they missed, they missed what was wrong with her. Very seriously yeah. missed what was wrong with her, and she went on to have a mini-stroke. Thank God it was a mini-stroke, as a consequence. Sure, it's it's absolutely appalling. Like, my, my nan went in years ago, like, and she had an upset tummy, and they sent her home, and she went back in a week later, because my mom was you know, pushing to get her seen, like she knew there was something wrong and actually ended up that she had cancer. Like they missed that as well when she went in, like, you know, it's yeah. just ridiculous. Like. Yeah. So just, I, I, I know that you went from Kalorglan to Tralee and I'm seeing yeah. texts already saying, could you not have got a spin rather than ringing an ambulance? You, you clearly couldn't have got a taxi. I understand that. Um, but like for instance Mary here is saying that woman is actually part of the problem Neil why didn't she get a spin to the hospital she rang an ambulance the baby was getting sick it wasn't a critical case how would you respond to that 
Um, well, I mean, I suppose, like, you know, at night time, it's like, who do you ask? You know, like, I mean, my sister now does have a car, but she has a child as well. Like, yeah. and, you know, it's like tearing them out of bed to go in the road. Like, and, you know, it's like, you don't know how long you're going to be waiting, like. Yeah, okay, okay. I, I mean, like, I did actually get a taxi home, like, um, it cost me like 50 euro for oh, a taxi home. I know, I know. And the G- it was the GP told you to call an ambulance, right? The GP said it. He said go straight in with her because he was worried that she'd be dehydrated, like because she just kept bringing up her bottles and any bit she did drink, she just brought back up anyway. Okay, okay. And uh, what 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 medication did she get in the end? Then she actually didn't get anything at all. Like I was I was shocked by it because he said she had gastroenteral infection, and I thought, geez, shouldn't she be getting something for it? Like because the GP said to me that she should actually be put on a drip of antibiotics or something, and just didn't do anything like. Okay, okay, all right. Listen, uh, I was going to tell you look after her, but I know you will. Of course you will. I look will. A- look after yeah. both of yourselves. Thank you for that, Danielle. Appreciate it. Cheers. Thank you very much. Um, Bye, lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. You can text 0868-104-106. Back in a minute. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. Eighteen fifty one zero four one zero six. Red. FM. Okay, so it would be great. Let's hear from the staff, if at all possible, at the uh, CUH or indeed within the A&E or the hospital network and setting, whether that's doctors, nurses, porters, uh, healthcare assistants, whomever. I won't give out your personal information if you send me a comment or tell us what it's like, what it's really like, uh, and I will never pass on personal inf- information to anybody, anybody at all. Um, but, I mean, it's just ironic, really, it actually make your blood boil. Aidan says, and this is from Friday's program, you really should send a researcher down to the CUH and see the carry-on with the cleaning and the painting all just because Micheál Martin is visiting there next week what a joke of a hospital oh the cleaning and the painting of course and putting everything ship shape and proper uh, you know it's kind of like window dressing I suppose that's what goes on when a politician calls or indeed uh, Taoiseach it happens it's been happening for years I can remember way way back in the day de- dealing with a story like that when Mary Harney was the Minister for Health and that would have been God Almighty, 20, 25 years ago. And she was heading out to the CUH and the same thing was happening. So nothing changes there. Anyway, text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 1850104106. Just a quick call uh, and then some texts and uh, more calls after 10. Kieran, good morning. Uh, good morning, Neil. How yeah. are you? Have you an experience to share? Yes, I have. Uh, back in the end of July, I, I, it was a Monday. I was up in... Um, St. Vincent's in Dublin for a, a checkup. I've had two liver transplants. And um, I was traveling, I was driving back from St. Vincent's Monday afternoon. And I was probably over halfway back. And one of the doctors up there gave, rang me and said, Look, because I had a blood test. They said, we checked your bloods. Your potassium level is very high. First of all, he asked where I was, if I was still in Dublin. I said, no. He said, well, we need you to go to straight to A&E in Cork. And I said, well, it'll be about five, six o'clock by the time I get there. Okay. I said... I know I'm going to be, I'll end up being there for hours. And she said, no. She said, go there, tell them the problem, and they should see you 
you know, pretty much straight away. Okay, and you took that as gospel and went to the A&D? Yes, I did. I went straight to the A&E. Went in there. It was packed. So I went to the reception, and he said, I told him what was wrong. You know, it was a receptionist. I said, he said, look, it's going to be at least hour and a half, two hours before you get to see the triage nurse. And I thought, well, then I'm going to be there most of the night. So I said, look, no, I'm going to go home. I'll come up first thing in the morning and I'll get it sorted. And that's what I did. I went home. I was back up in Cork at half to seven in the morning. There was two or three people in there already, fair enough. Got to see the triage nurse. Told her exactly what was wrong, what I was told. So she brought me into the waiting area. But she didn't put me in one of those pods. She just sat me near what used to be the old reception desk. And I was there. I was there seven hours before anyone came and took a blood test from me. And this now is all you told them that you got a call from the consultant while driving back from Dublin, having been in St. Vincent's, and he said you need to get to an A&E fast. You told him all of this. Yes, I told him everything. What could potentially have happened to somebody who's had two liver transplants? What could have happened? Well, uh, apparently if you have a potassium level of 6.5, that is seriously high. But what could happen? Are you talking about potential organ failure or something? I, to be honest, I don't know. I don't okay. know what okay. would happen. Okay. But um, all I all I was told by the doctor in San Vincent that it was a serious thing. I mean, then, like it's amazing that he would have thought that you would have been seen straight away just because you rocked in there and said that you were sent by. Maybe he thought the fact that he told you that. He was saying that you should well, go to the he, hospital would make a difference, but it doesn't make a difference, really. The re- well, he said, because it's serious, they should, like, you shouldn't be waiting for hours and hours. And what happened after seven hours? Well, they took a blood, and then about half an hour later, or three quarters of an hour later, a doctor from the kidney unit in St. Vincent's or in, in CUH who I see regularly he came down and saw me none of the emergency doctors saw me Was he just passing or did he come down specifically to see you? I, I think someone must have eventually called him Okay, good Probably Okay. I don't know why or what, you know, but he turned up. Because I, 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 I said to myself, how come you're here? And he said, I got a call. Did he, look a, did he look after you at that stage then, Karen? Yeah, he, he said, look, we'll just wait and see. You'll get your blood test back. And then we'll take it from there. He got the blood test back. It was... The same as what it was in St. Vincent's 6. But he said, look, 
we know your history. You, you know, we're not going to keep you in. We'll send you home. And he made an appointment then to see the okay. consulting and okay. see you afterwards. Okay. And the fact that you're on the second liver, is that because the the, 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 the first transplant, what, did they the, just... The, wasn't rejected, the, no? The first one, yeah, the first one was in November 2018. And it was going good for a few months. And then I went up for a, a, a usual checkup. And they said, look, this, you're having problems. So they booked me in for the second one. And the second one was in the 1st of August 2019. And it's been there since? And since then it's been. Are you worried that there are potential problems with the second transplant now? Well, no, I, I, I personally haven't felt any problems. Everything's been going well. Oh, every time I go for tests... They check it, yeah. It's yeah. coming good, so... Okay, okay. Okay, look after yourself, Kieran. Thanks for texting and uh, for coming on air. Appreciate it. We've got more calls after 10. You can get involved in the conversation. Text 0868 104 106. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench. Every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Other issues regarding our health service, of course, that are even hard, are impacted even harder at the moment. And that is with regards to trying to see a doctor. My wife just called the doctor and was told that she'll be charged 50 euro to talk to her on the phone. The receptionist said they are so busy that they can't see everyone. So phone consultations are now being charged for. We are being fleeced everywhere we turn now. I earn a good wage, but at the end of the month, I'm left with very little. I feel so sorry for people in low-paying jobs. I'm not a Sinn Féin supporter and would hate to see them in power, but the door is being held open for them by the sitting parties in government. That's um, a couple who called the doctor and was told it would be €50 to talk on the phone. They're so busy, they can't see everyone, so phone consultations are now being charged for. Um, I like it. Okay, I'm, I'm not in the doctor's surgeries. I'm not sitting across from the, listening to the phones go. I, I don't know how many people doctors have in their waiting rooms. Uh, so I can't comment as to how busy they are. I have to take them at face value. Unfortunately, I heard a very, 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 very disturbing uh, conversation um, about a week ago where a doctor somewhere was saying, it's 40 euro for a phone consultation, but if I put down that it's COVID... Um, it'll be free or I'll be paid by the state. Uh, the mother said, I don't want you to put that down. Do not put that down. It isn't true. My 72-year-old very my seventy-two-year-old very sick father spent 55 hours in the A&D at CUH four weeks ago. 55 hours, a 72-year-old sick dad. He was in a wheelchair and 31... Um, hang on a second, let me get this right. My 72-year-old father spent 55 hours in the A&D in COH four weeks ago, 24 hours in a wheelchair, and then 31 hours on a reclining chair. It's like something out of a horror movie out there. He has since passed away and had to endure this in the lead-up to his death. There's a humanitarian crisis in our health service and people need to wake up. Shame on our government. I'm angry, I'm grieving my dad, and I'm deeply sad how our sick, vulnerable people are being treated how in 2021 Ireland 
is deeming this acceptable is beyond my comprehension. Our condolences with you, Nicola, on the loss of your dad. And it was a very, very sad end. It really was. When you say he's since passed away and to endure this in the lead up to his death, I know exactly what you mean. And you must be even further angered to hear of painting and cleaning and all sorts of um, you know, uh, work being done ahead of a Taoiseach's visit to the hospital at the same time. Why don't they just leave it as it is? You know, why prepare for a politician uh, by moving people and painting things and cleaning things and just leave it as it is so politicians can see the real world, not something that has been, um, you know, painted and decorated and dickied up for the visit. Uh, Daria says, I know it's tough for everyone. A couple of weeks ago, my wife was kept sitting there for almost 24 hours with a back injury. She couldn't move. I was asked to leave and had to force myself in every time she needed to go to the toilet. She had to scream for something to eat or to get painkillers. In the end, she was just sent home. She was told she'd be better at home, especially because she doesn't have private insurance. This is beyond a joke. Well, if that was said to you, you don't have private insurance. It sounds like as if you're living in America, because that's the kind of thing they would say to you there. That's bad. But again, think about a 72-year-old man who subsequently passed away, spending 55 hours in the A&E four weeks ago. 55 hours. To the phone lines we go. Stephanie, good morning. Good morning, Ian. How are you? And I'll come back to some of those texts in a moment. Um, you're 30 years of age. Mm-hmm. Okay. And was it meningitis? Um, yeah, meningitis in my brain and septicemia in my blood. And what were the symptoms for you? Um, well, it happened last August. Um, I just got very bad pain in my head. Um, it was just constant pain in my head, so I went to the doctor. Um, the first visit now, I went to the doctor. He didn't check, he didn't do blood, didn't check temperature, didn't do nothing, just sent me straight for a COVID test. Yeah, that's right, because so, you had bad headaches. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So three days later, my COVID test came back negative. So um, my symptoms were kind of getting worse then. It was kind of like, I was kind of hot and cold, hot and cold. And I was going in, I went into the doctor then again. I said, come here, look, my symptoms kind of getting worse. So he said, oh no, you, it must be COVID. Yeah, that's and another COVID, COVID symptom. I know where you're yeah. going with this. Like, So you yeah, have yeah. the headaches, you have the hot and cold flushes, you have the yeah. temperatures and a fever, yeah. Yeah. Then um, the third time I went to him, I said, like... To go for a second day, test then? Yeah, I did a second test. So every day it was going on, I was getting worse and worse. So I rang him again and I said, come here, like, I have to, can I just please come in and see I don't feel well. So in the meantime, why last, I, that was in two weeks, I got two tests. So I felt, I could hear a ticking noise at the back of my throat. Um, so, and then I got, um, it's like phlegm, but a water phlegm. It was dripping from my brain. This is how, exactly how it was now. It was dripping from my brain. It was passing my throat into my stomach. I could taste it. It was like poison, but I couldn't cough it up. So I said it to the doctor. I said, I said exactly what was wrong with me. So another COVID test. So I finally got my results back for the COVID test. I was on a Friday. I rang the doctor. I said, look, that's the terrible COVID test. I don't have COVID. I said, what's wrong with me? He said, look, I just think it was a very bad flu. So I said, okay, look, I isolated for the last three weeks. I said, can I go back to normal? So he said, yeah. I said, but I, I knew myself. I still didn't feel 100%. Mm. So I, that was, I got my test Friday. So the Sunday came, I had to go in for lunch for the kids. So I went, got into the car, with three kids in the back of the car, drove the car, just about half a mile down the road. At the time, I didn't know what happened to me, but my car went out of control and hit a wall. My so, God. Oh, my. Uh, yeah. It gets worse. It gets worse. So, How did you lose control? Do you recall? The blackout? I don't. I, um, but I, after, well, my kids 
I had a seizure due to the meningitis in my brain. But at the time, there was no cause of crash. Like the ambulance man even said, there was no cause of the crash. There was, like I was driving on the left side of the road. My car went over to the right side of the road and hit a wall. There was no reason. With the kids in the car? With three kids in the car, but that's not even the half of it, Neil. Right? So the ambulance men came out, the guards came out, whatever. I um, The airbag came out, burst my nose, burst my mouth. I collapsed onto the floor. I was lucky there was a man running, jogging the same day, because this is a rural area. There was a man jogging the same day he came to our, our knee. Like, um, I came out, I slapped off the floor, like I got... I just slapped off the floor. But I remember I was still conscious. I was back up and I was like, oh, my kids, the kids okay? And the man rang the ambulance and the guards and all this stuff. Did the kids, um, I hate interrupting you in full flow, but did the the kids have belts on in the back? Yeah, they were all in their car seats, but my small one just had their hands. Car seats. Must be tiny. Are they very young? Ah, yeah. Well, well, there was three, four, five they were. So across the road you go, you hit a wall, your yeah. airbag explodes, breaks your nose, kids yeah. are okay, oh, somebody uh, comes um, across, yeah. Yeah, I, that, yeah, well, I just, I just, I, yeah, someone came across and rang the ambulance, whatever. The ambulance came out, so at the meantime I rang my mum, because my mum don't be far from me, so I rang my mum, because I was just all over the place, need, right? Yeah. I rang my mum, my mum came, she put the kids into the back of the car, because it was a cold morning. She put the kids into the back of the car. Ambulance men came, asked what happened. I told them I didn't know what happened. That's the truth. I, I, don't, I was driving along the road and I just... At the time, I didn't know what happened. So he put, they put me into the back of the ambulance. No, right. One of, the, one of the men went over to my mum's car, looked in the back of the car, said, the kids are grand. Um, my mum said, could they be checked? They said, oh, no, they're grand. They're, they seem to be grand. They're talking, they're grand. So they put me into the back of the ambulance. Asked me... Um, whereas I have pain so I showed him my knee my knee was all swollen my face was obviously you could see my face uh, blood everywhere um, my neck I had a safety belt on so I cut through my neck down like past my breast and down my ribs um, the ambulance men this what one ambulance men said to me um, we just think you got a bit of concussion we don't think there's anything broke. If you feel there's anything broke, you can send yourself to Mallow in a day or two. We're just back from the COH. It's ramping with COVID. We don't want to go again. Right. This is August of last year or August of this August year? last year. Last yeah, year. It, September, it, yeah. And it would, and, you know, he's right. It, it was. was. Yeah. Of course, yeah. 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 So I came home anyway. Um, I, when I came home, I collapsed onto the floor. It was just severe pain. So I'm... Um, I rang the ambulance then again that night because the pain out from my head was just unbearable. You know, actually, can I, I'm sorry now, but I just jumped back again. Do you know, in the three times the doctor got me the COVID test, I actually presented myself to CUH in between them three times, telling them that I was severely sick. They put me into a pod, took another COVID test and sent me home. So we're talking four negative COVID four, tests now yeah. and nobody picking on, uh, picking up no, on an other no illness. Taking or nothing, yeah. okay. nothing. Okay. And so we go back to the crash. Um, so yeah, anyway, I came home and I clapped. So that night, I, I got a severe pain out my left eye. It was so bad, I rang the ambulance again. Two so lovely ambulance men who came out. They said, look, we just think it's from the crash, take morphine and you should be okay. So another two days went on and I, I just felt a weakness in my body. I just felt like, you know, my, I felt like everything was being taken from me, like my, everything was just sore. So I said I have to go to the doctor. So we were driving in towards the doctor and I just said to Jamie, I said, just ring an ambulance straight away. I said, there's something wrong. So the ambulance came out inside the road, put me into the ambulance, told him he couldn't go, that they, he, that they, 
See, Jane, man, I just saw my left side of my brain. So my speech went, my left arm went, and my left left my left leg went. So when I paralyzed, paralyzed, yeah, my left side. So came, they said to my partner, "Look, we think she's after having a stroke." So going up in the ambulance, my temperature was through the roof, and the shit, the, the ambulance woman told me, "Look, you're after suffering a stroke, and on top of that, we think you have COVID, so we have to press the button." At the time, I didn't know what the button was, but it was obviously, you know, the ambulance lights to go faster. So we got off to the CUH. I got in the door to the CUH. And from then till about three weeks later, I can't remember what happened to me. I was in ICU for two weeks. And when I came out of ICU, my consultant came to me. There was actually four of them. And they said that I'm, someone was looking down on me. I'm so lucky to be alive that I had meningitis in my brain and septicemia in my body. God almighty, that you could have died. Oh, I was, I was on the verge of organ failure, they told me. I was near enough to actually have an organ failure. Okay, so last August, when we were talking about ICU admissions, you yeah. were one of them, not as a COVID yeah. patient, incidentally. Yeah. No. But maybe you were listed as a COVID ICU for some time. Yeah, maybe I was, because even when I was going up with the ambulance, the uh, two ambulance people told me I had COVID on top of having So could this be possibly what, uh, one number of, an, I know it's, mm-hmm. maybe it's irrelevant, but you, you could, could have be, been yeah. one number in ICU with COVID when you actually had meningitis. Yeah, yeah. Good God. My even doctor was telling me, you have, you have COVID. Like, even the test will come back ne- negative. He was saying, no, you, you have it. And I was like, but I don't like to test the negative. But he did, said, you have all the symptoms. And Did you make a full recovery? Um, I was the hardest time. I was in hospital for 10 weeks. I, um, my kids then, see, at the time we were in lockdown, my kids then would have to come up every Saturday and Sunday and look, come through the window, look through the window. They'd go into the car park and I'd look out through the window to them. <sighs> they didn't want to see me. So I didn't see them physically in 10 weeks. How was that um, for you? That must have been very oh. difficult. Thank God, like, I know the CUH is getting an awful criticism, but the nurses up there, they really made me feel like family. Do you know, they really, really looked after me. It was really hard at the time, but I was so sick then as well, you know, I just, I didn't know what was going on. Yeah, well, you knew you were in the best place. Could you imagine yeah, if there, yeah. imagine if you, when you blacked out in the car and you veered across the road, hit the wall on the other side, imagine if there was a, another car another coming car, against you. yeah. Or, or somebody out for a walk on a country road. And I killed them. You know, it's mad. And when I woke up, or there was no car on the other side, and there was no somebody having a walk, and you just hit the wall and you died, or your children Mm -hmm. died. And the kids, the kids, kids, yeah, I know. When when I came out, I see you. Then I still like I had to learn how to walk and talk again. I had to like physically learn how to walk and talk because I lost my feeling in my leg and my left arm and my speech went. Um. So when I came around, my two consultants were talking to me, but I still wasn't registering in my head. Like I was so sick. But they said the dripping in my brain was the infection gone so, like, the infection was so bad. I know. And, oh, come here. Did you have any rash, no? Oh, no, no, no. no. Okay, that's one of the symptoms that shows us as a rash. So here's an example of COVID being blamed for everything. Four COVID tests all negative and still convinced it's COVID when it's actually meningitis. 
Yeah, I nearly oh died. Like, I, I actually nearly died over COVID, but I didn't have COVID. Forget <sighs> I do get you. Exactly. You put it much better than I did. And yeah. it must have been amazing then to get to hug the kids for the first time after 10. Oh, it was. Even when I came out now, I came out of hospital on the 18th of December. Um, I had home care. I was, um, there was a nurse coming out at 6 in the morning, 6 in the evening. I had a drip put in through my arm, in through my heart. Like, it was like a wire put in through my arm, in through my heart. So a nurse has come out at 6 in the morning, 6 in the evening, hook me up um, to all the drips. And that went on for like about four weeks. And then I was admitted back in then again because I got a large reaction to all the medication. So I was in hospital then again for another three weeks. Oh my God. And there's no fear of a, of a recurrence, no? Um, no, the only thing is now, like I, I'm on seizure tablets for the rest of my life, whereas I can I can get seizures. Well, hopefully the tablets will manage that. Oh, oh of God. course, yeah. That is, that is a nightmare story, Stephanie. Completely. Thank completely. God you're still here. Thank God you and the That's kids the are thing, still alive. Like, yeah, no. yeah. That's the thing. It's kind of like looking back on it, you're saying, how did I... How do people not know? Like, because I was even asking my family now, I was like, was I acting normal? And they were saying, the only thing they noticed, I would be in bed every evening for seven o'clock. Do you know, I just put myself to bed, I was so sick. Like, I was walking and talking. They were probably I, also saying she has COVID, she has a bad case of yeah, COVID. Yeah, that's what COVID. everyone was saying, because I had to isolate and everything. So everyone was saying that I had COVID. Like, but God almighty, you're one lucky girl, you can be sure. I know, very, very lucky. Listen, thanks for, that, for sharing no that, problem. Stephanie. Thank you. Thank, Thank you God you're still with us. Cheers. I know. Thank you. Uh, my friend was on a trolley the other day in St. Vincent's in Dublin uh, for 33 hours before she got a bed. It's no different up there. 33 hours. She had can- she has cancer and is undergoing chemotherapy and was on a trolley for that length of time. 33 hours. Um, our hospital system's a joke. The doctors and nurses and radiologists are amazing and brilliant. They're the best in the world, but something needs to be done. Millions upon millions constantly being poured into health every year and it gets the highest money in the budget and still this is happening something has to be done to sort this mess out thanks Margaret who's going to who's going to sort it out once or for all do other countries have the same um, problems uh, as we do uh, having recently experienced the A&D at CUH I would say there are many many people who shouldn't even be in there in the first place and should be visiting their GP instead of wasting valuable A&D resources the staff are rushed off their feet says Anne it is for accidents and emergencies after all I have to say I went to the A&D last Monday with my one year old daughter about four o'clock we were seen by triage and into pediatrics within half an hour of being there it wasn't a medical emergency and I was shocked at how quickly we were seen she was given a bed on the Ladybird at 10 p.m. Staff were amazing, but I did notice walking past A&E the next afternoon that there were people from the night before still sleeping on chairs and still waiting, says Michaela. There's that. Lots more besides after the break. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. Interestingly, it's high time this country started a new term with a completely new government to see at least at least to try to see if their policies can deliver anything better for the people of this country. Nothing comes free here in Ireland, even after more taxes, all because of woeful governance. A new government, new parties in power, and at least we will then find out if people can actually start living in a better society. It's the only way to know by changing government. It's simple when you say it like that, isn't it? Thank you for that text. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 1850104106 and get on board. yeah, I have uh, Kim, Aidan and Tim and then I'll do some texts and an interesting email from an Indian nurse. Um, so I want to read that out as well. But let me stay with the phone lines for now. Uh, Tim, good morning. Good morning. Now, are you the home help? 
I am, yes. Okay. So I see in the front of the Echo this morning that they're talking about carers and home helps being, you know, they're asking, asking, begging for a little bit of time off to rest. Yes, we're under severe pressure, so we are. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And tell me about that pressure. Do you have many people to deal with on a daily basis? Well, we could have up to 11 clients a day, like, and um, if someone is off sick, we um, be under severe pressure. Like, there's um, teams of four, and, like, there's a few teams, and the team one, two to seven or eight. Yeah. And um, if one of our team is off sick, and wouldn't be on holidays or under severe pressure. You could have 14 or 15 a day then, could you? Well, I wouldn't say f- not up to 14, about maybe 10, 11. It said here in the text 12 to 14. Yeah, um, okay. So how how does that mean that the length of time that you could spend with somebody is quite short? Well, yeah, it is. We get 45 minutes to with some clients and then some high priorities are an hour. But um, it's not enough time, like, because, you know, you have to um, do their personal care and you have some of them, you have to cook their breakfast, like. Yeah. The pressure is unreal. And are many of them rural and living alone then as well, Tim? Oh, there is, yeah. There's a good few living alone, so there is. Yeah. And, and does it, feel, it must feel awful when you have to leave, knowing that it's not the right time to leave then? It is, yeah, but I personally stayed the extra bit of time with them because I could not leave them the way they are. Like, I feel so guilty if I walked out that door after 45 minutes, not a hope could I do it because I feel so guilty to do it to them. But doesn't that impact on the next call and the next call after that then? It, it do, yeah. It, it do. Well, it impacts big time. Like, we need to get more staff. And is it just getting worse? At the moment, yeah, it, is, it will get worse. Like, you know, like people are living longer and people prefer to stay at home. So yeah. They do. yeah, yeah. They don't want to go into Northam. They're way better off in their own surroundings. Yeah. And I suppose for, for some of them, maybe many of them, you could well be the only person that they would see. That's correct, yes. Either the postman or one of us, one of the healthcare systems. Yeah, yeah, I know. And was it very difficult then? Was it very difficult over the past 20 months or so? Unreal, unreal, to be quite honest. So you'd be going in all masked up with all of your gear on and going from home to home? Yeah, all the the PPE gear for COVID had to be worn if your client came out of hospital for two weeks constant. And, you know, my heart is out to the people in the... ICU was that have to wear that gear constant yeah. Yeah. for 12 hours straight like and I tell you, the heat out of it is unreal it's crazy and did you ever think about giving up or changing career no I love my job with passion I love it with passion and do anything else so I wouldn't yeah I know it must be tough yeah. though when the people that you're looking after pass away is it it is, yeah. You get a, a bond with the, your clients, like, oh, you get to know them and the most you hear from them, like, you can write. 
Yeah, just move around a little bit, Tim. I'd say you must hear amazing life stories, do you? Oh, definitely, yeah. You know, um, about long ago, the things you learn, like, it's unreal, like, you couldn't believe it, like, the stories you hear. That you'd love to spend a little longer listening. Oh, God, yes, yes. Because sometimes that's the best therapy for somebody who's elderly or infirm, isn't it? Just somebody to talk to. It is, definitely. It, It is, for sure, like... And like, um, you say that more staff are needed. Um, why, why? Why is that? Is it? Is it a? Is it a reasonably good paying job, or is it? Is, what is it like? Ten, twelve euro an hour kind of thing? Oh, it'd be more, more than that. Would it? It'd be more than yeah, it is a good paying job. So it is. And why don't more? Is it that there's no budget to to bring in more staff? Well, you see, um, it's. They're not hiring like they want to be hiring. They had a band on hiring. I know it's the you can't just see a work for like. Correct. Yeah. 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 And like with the HC, the I don't know. Like why can't they bring on more staff to help those in need? Who and and the best place for a lot of people is at home, of course. As long as the services are there to back it up. It is like I wonder. Callers, there is more as this to like that she was in a cubicle and the person people could hear all around her. Yes, in a cubicle. What yeah. was going on? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. dignity and respect went out the window. I know, I know. Only like I was sick to hear that. Like they should have brought that client or that patient into private room and give her. But you're like if there, I know. But if there's so few of them and they run off their feet and they could be dealing with dozens of people, it's like juggling as best they can, you know, moving from one to the next. The, the big issue really of is misdiagnosing somebody's illness because they're too busy. It is like, and as as people say, they're COVID, COVID. It's not all COVID, like you know, yeah, like that girl with the three kids. Meningitis. I know, I know, I know. Oh my God, tonight, like... Anyway, thank you for that because you're saying there's as much pressure in the community with care workers who are working, as we used to say, home helps back in the day as there is inside in our A&E and our hospital system. Yeah. That's right, yeah. Okay, okay. And, uh, thank you for taking my call. All right, Tim. Thank you so much. Aidan, good morning. Good morning, Neil. You want to know, is there anybody out there with anything too good to say about the COH? Well, people over and over again talk about the, the staff there. And they have good things to say. Well, all we're hearing lately is nothing but bad cases coming out of Daniel. You know, even that girl out this morning, like two and a half days that she was enduring all her suffering. You know, it's... it's One was a mini stroke and the other was meningitis, which led to a car crash with the kids in the back, yeah. yeah. That's just it. Like, you know, the doctor's not listening to what the patients are actually telling them. Well, they're picking up... like Like that girl there, she was saying, you know, like how many... She had four COVID tests and they all came back negative, and they, t- they still tried to tell her she had COVID. Like, are they brainwashed with COVID, or what's going on with them? That the doctors won't listen to what the patient is saying. She was presenting COVID symptoms, you see. Yeah, but a test after test proved that she didn't have it. Well, four tests later, and they're still coming back negative. If, if, it, were run, if it were run like a private sector business, you think that many of the management would be sacked, is it? All guarantees, out the door. You know, like, how many businesses there that, that don't perform, management can make them perform, they're, they're the first to go. They're, they would be shown the door and told, that's it, we, we, we can't tolerate this any longer. Very but difficult to do that when it's, when it, very difficult to do that when it's graded public sector jobs, you see. 
Oi, nu er jeg ved Neil, jordnåplanen gik hende i halvmærken, Mary Lou McDonald og Michael McGuire under foran. So, well, it's a lot easier to get Mary Lou McDonald than it is to get Michal Martin these days, but anyway. But, but fair enough, they're willing to speak to you. So why can't you get Stephen Donnelly on the phone and ask him why aren't our hospitals performing like they should be? Like I, he's the Minister for Health and he is just hiding behind... I tell you what, I, I tell you what I'll do. I will put in a request at midday today and I will let you know what the response is to the request for an interview, all right? Fair enough. Like I, I know, I know. Last week, I know. Last week, we were we were offered a a, a Fine Gael spokesperson on the upcoming budget, I believe it was, um, and it was some Fine Gael spokesperson from way up the country. Um, so we had said no. Actually, we would much prefer if it was Simon Coveney, for instance. Uh, because we're all, we'd be very much interested in talking to our own TDs or indeed our own ministers. And the response that came back was that he wasn't available. So we were offered, we were off, no disrespect to Josepha Madigan now, but that's not what we wanted. So, you know, that's you'll the way it You'll probably get the same response then when it comes to Stephen Donnelly. He, he just doesn't. It was actually not on the budget. It was on the National Development Plan. So I had wanted to talk about the Cork aspect of the National Development Plan. You know, the 165 billion for Cork and for the. There you go, 165 billion. And, you know, put that into relation to what you're giving to health. You know, we, we could we could suffer the roads for another few years if they softened out the hell problem. I believe, I, I 100% agree with you on that. I really do. But I, but I also think that many politicians might go into the doll with the best of intentions. A lot of the new TDs that went up there. But as soon as they're in there and they see how the doll works, right? And they see um, all of the obstacles put in their way and all of the frustrations because a lot of time you are dealing with civil servants there and advisors and people who aren't TDs who are you know, people in it as a career, they they find that they can't get anything done because of it. Because they're always dancing around the truth, uh, Neil, you know. If I, yeah, they go in the no, I think some thing. of them, I mean, I know that, I know, for instance, I know Tommy Gould told me some months back on the air, he's very honest about it, he says, it's so different, he said, when you're in there trying to make a difference. He said it is f- so frustrating trying to get anything done. And a lot of it has to do with being blocked or issues regarding the public sector. Yeah, no, nobody wants to hurt anybody's feelings. That's what I get from it. You know, like, leave your feelings caught at the door when you're going to work. You know, get on with the job in hand no, and it, get it done. Yeah, the, he said they try and it gets beaten out of you. But they keep trying, but it gets, they keep getting pushed back. Um, what does the old saying say? Try and try again. If you get knocked down, get up and try again. Yeah. You know, why, why, why give up after, you know, two or three setbacks? You know, that's, that's what's wrong here. Like, you know, they, they're told no maybe once or twice. And, oh, yeah, well, we'll, we'll go away. So they become institutionalised and part of the furniture. Yeah. All right. No, we'll go against the grain for a change. Thanks, Aidan. More calls after the break. Kim and Bridie have positive stories. So that's interesting. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. I don't know whether Simon Coveney's been thrown under a bus on this one, but there's an awful lot of column inches been taken up recently about the fact that Simon Coveney is the one who's going north of the border for the church service to mark the centenary of the partition of Ireland and the creation of Northern Ireland. In fact, he said to come out now and say that it's the right thing to do. Not everybody agrees. With that, I think. Okay, um, I have some more texts and emails, clearly, but let's just get some more positive aspects to the story we've been dealing with this morning. Bridie standing by. First up, Kim, good morning. 
Morning, Neil. How are so, you doing? Okay, so you heard the horror stories this morning. Um, thankfully, uh-huh. yours wasn't. No, um, thankfully, we had a, a good experience in CUH recently there um, with our four-year-old son. He, I suppose, a tiny bit of the backstory. Obviously, um, my husband was loading the uh, washing machine with clothes, and we put in the pod. And my son just got in underneath him and took the pod out, but he squeezed it and it went into his eyes. So he obviously was in fierce discomfort. Did you put it? Was it in the drawer or was it gone in with the clothes? You know, some of them now go in with the clothes. Gone in with the clothes. Yeah. And he got under my husband and just took it out of his hand. Why do they have to be so attractive looking, those pods? They look so tasty. They're all multicolored. They look like a jelly sweet, for God's sake. They do, they do. No, I wouldn't mind. Our, our cupboard is always locked because I have two young kids, like, so it's always locked. But so why can't they be way. dull, boring, unattractive things that wash the clothes? That would be, be too common sense, really, to be honest with you, wouldn't it? Well, it wouldn't work to market and advertise them. They need to look sexy. They, they wash yeah. the feckin' clothes, like. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Once they do the job, it doesn't matter what the way so they look like. He's, he's a four-year-old. He got his hands yeah. on it. What happened next? Um, so he he burst the pod, went into his eyes. Um, he was obviously screaming in pain. I was in the sitting room when I came out straight away, and he was screaming in pain. Um, we tried to wash out his eyes, to rub his eyes, to get it out, like to bring it down. Um, obviously, you do panic in these situations, even though you know you're supposed to know what what to do really. Um, so I rang the local clinic here in our town, and she I explained everything, and she said, um, "Look, bring him straight into A and E." but get a letter from her directly so we didn't have to pay the 100 euro um, A&E charge. Yeah. So I got that on the I way. I forgot about that. You are charged 100 euro to go to yeah. A&E. Yeah. It's not as if it's so, free service. That doesn't mean nothing's free anyway. Go on. No, no, no. So um, we brought him straight into A&E. I walked him straight in. He was in his pyjamas. Um, told him the story at the at the, the hatch. It's um, a security guard is on the door now as you go up. It was our first time being there now since COVID. Um, so I wasn't sure what the procedure was. Um, we just gave him a tiny bit of the backstory and then went uh, sat and gave us a number and we sat in a, a glass pod. And he's still pain. in pain now and crying and everything, yeah? He's still crying, He but he's, he's, he's kind of calmed down a little bit, thank God. Okay. Um, so he has opened his eyes at this no, stage. Yeah, okay, yeah. So, okay, go ahead. Um, but the triage nurse called us within 10 minutes, obviously, because they knew what the problem was. The reception had an optimist on standby if needed, which was, I thought was good. Right, yeah. Um, and the triage nurse saw him and they brought him into the um, children's waiting room. Literally, we were sitting down there for five minutes and we were called in. But it was, it was the care after, at this stage here, that, that I feel very positive about. Obviously, with the, the seriousness of the, the issue with his eyes, um, he had caused damage because there were chemicals um, and they had to do different pH tests on the actual eye itself, which was very uncomfortable, as you can imagine, for a four-year-old. Um, but all the while, my husband was waiting in the car because there's only one adult allowed in. Um, and when they were actually washing my child's, out, child's eyes out, I had to hold physically hold him down while they kept his eye open and washed his eyes out with saline or what, whatever they washed yep. out with. Yep. Um, and on the second eye, he was so upset, obviously, that the nurse actually said, look, would you, would you ring your husband and, and bring him in? Um, because I was physically upset. I, I, I couldn't hold him down anymore. It, it goes against everything in your body to hold your child down like um, so my husband came in lucky enough that, that you feel like there. picking him up grabbing him and running away wouldn't you oh t- 
totally. You, yeah. If I could have sat there and had it for him, I would have. I would have done absolutely Help anything. Us, yeah. Help us. But look, it turned out well. His his eyes are fine. He got the all clear after a week. But um, it was a very positive story in that the staff, at one stage, there was three or four doctors around him, and they were doing everything in their power just to get this over and done for him. Like because it was an hour. Well, I don't. I don't doubt down. it. I think that if the staff were able to do their job. Yeah. properly in a much more calm way and there was more of them we wouldn't be this is all about shortages and mismanagement and, and misspending of, of public finances um, but when you walked through the A&E did yeah. you get to look around and see how busy it was at the time it, was it quieter? No, it was quiet. There was one um, one little lad in front of us and there was another person um, just in front of them. So we were the third in the queue. I think that's the reason why we were seen co- so quick. And now, if it was a busy night, would we have been so I know, quick? I know. Seen so quick because of the nature of the problem. I probably think we probably would have because being a very young child and eyes, you know, there was a risk of blindness there straight away. And you know, there so. isn't any issue with the eye now. He's going to make a full recovery. No. Okay. No. And what are we what are we going to do about this? Like he he obviously was attracted to it by it being color the color of it and it was shiny yeah. as kids will be and and um, he didn't put it in his mouth at least or swallow it or choke no. or anything. No, I think it was more because they're squishy. You know, there's there's a lot of things on the market that resemble things like this, like um, these slime balls or whatever they're using today. Kids are, are buying these things. So, did he think that they were something similar? So, no, no like I, I don't we have, I don't think we have an issue now anymore with the likes of bleach bottles because they've got safety caps on them that kids can't open. Isn't that right? And yeah. you know, all all of the cleaning products and things like that, they're they're safe, but. There is an issue with detergents, and and when I say detergents, I'm talking about washing powder, or sorry, washing detergents and dishwasher capsules yeah. as well, and they because they can be squishy, squidgy ones too. I mean, they're not being kept under the sink anymore now, are they? Um, in certain houses, they obviously will be because your cabinet is underneath the sink, and that's automatically where you want to put them, or where you, where you would go to put them, you know. Um, but we have a very strong lock, and, and thank God neither of our kids can open it. It was only just a free thing that he took it out of the washing machine. But but it still happened, you know, that okay, these okay. things can happen. And I don't know to the manufacturers, this is a, a, totally, totally above me, like, but um, do they need to start looking at their the way that they manufacture these things? You know? Um, well, they'd all have to do it at the same time because from a marketing and advertising point of view, if it's not an attractive, sexy, funky-looking product... Yeah. then you probably won't buy it. You'll buy the one that is, you know? Well, I suppose at the, at the end of the day, once you've gone through something like this, I don't care what way it looks. Once it does the job and it doesn't hurt my child, you know, um, it wouldn't bother me what way it looks. I know, and I'd be, I like, I'd be like you. I just wanted to do the job. Um, I mean, yeah. it might be interesting. I make other calls from people whose children have got their hands on uh, mm. washing powder capsules or, you know, the squidgy... Soft one. Yeah. A, a good number for parents to have in their phone uh, is the National Poisons Information Centre number. Just put it into your yeah. mobile phone. It's a zero one number zero one eight oh nine two one six six. That's the helpline you call in cases of this. You know. Yeah, definitely. I think they should have it in their phones, and they should have it on a notice board at home, um, along with all rel- relevant numbers all right. um, okay. for kids. Okay, but your experience with the staff was. Top class. Brilliant. Okay. Yeah, he even got a, a teddy bear and a carton of orange juice from one particular man, Pat, and he was brilliant with him, I have to say. Well, see, it's amazing. That's what, you, that's what you remember. They're the wonderful things you remember. Bit of kindness. Yeah, well, it's, it's my child remembers it because he has that teddy bear on his bed since it happened, so he has remembered it. 
Thanks for that, Kim. Appreciate you taking the time. Take care. I'll give out some very relevant phone numbers in a few minutes' time. Be interesting to talk to anybody who has a similar story to Kim's when it comes to things that your kids have got their hands on uh, or indeed, you know, got their hands on and put into their mouth, whether it's one of the, uh, you know, dishwasher detergents or, you know, some of them are tablets. Some of them, see, some of them on the market have a plastic wrapper and you have to unwrap them and then put them into the dishwasher. But others don't. They have dissolving covers on them uh, and they too are very, very colourful. And some of them are little square ones and they're multicoloured and they have a little ball at the top of them, you know. And they, to a child's eye, of course, you know, that, that's worth investigating. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. Okay, uh, a couple of calls this side of 11. Uh, Tony standing by. Bridie, good morning. Okay, you've got a you've got a radio on in the background there, so perhaps you could just turn it down for me. It'd be easier to talk to you then. I know she had a positive experience in the CH. Can you hear me now, Brady? I can, yeah. Okay, can. go ahead. How was your experience? You fall, is it? I fell and cracked a bone in my hip, and I was in the A and E for a good few hours. But I was on a trolley, like, and if you're in, you're on a trolley, and you have you're getting attention. I don't care about the trolleys. But anyway, I was in for a fortnight after in the hospital. And I thought it was the best experience I've had. It was like a hotel. That's all I can say. And did you go in through A&D? I went in through A&E. Yeah, and you weren't waiting yeah. very long there? Was it busy at the time? It was very busy. Yeah, very busy. But I didn't care how long I was waiting. You know, oh. no, I had to... I had to be waiting and that was it like okay and well, did you get a trolley or were you on a trolley for a while or a chair I was on a trolley for a while but sure, who cares like how you long looked after you know how long I can't understand when they're saying they're on a trolley and they're giving out you know, ah yeah but they could be in pain and they could be there for 15 so terrible pain. and how long were you on the trolley uh, about 4 hours okay. I suppose okay okay but after you know, that I like I didn't it didn't bother me in the least honestly yeah. no yeah. And they were so kind and so good and so attentive. And the hospital was outstanding. Yeah. I yeah. couldn't say enough about it. And I'm delighted that it was so positive in spite of the pain you were in. But do you accept that it's a bit of a lottery there? That in, in your case, it was four hours and you were well looked after. For others, they don't have similar stories to share. But, but if they're waiting a long while, they're still on a trolley. They're still being looked after. Do you understand what I'm saying? Not always, though. They can be on chairs as well. Well, the chairs, no, to be honest with you, are comfortable as well. No, I, I know. I suppose when well, I'm, I'm saying an elderly person, she's like 79 myself. Um, chairs are armchairs, no. Yeah, was a 72-year-old. I know, I don't want to take from your positive experience, I'm delighted. But there was a 72-year-old who subsequently passed away, spent 55 hours in the A&E three or four weeks ago. Oh, my God. Anyway, anyway, for you, for you, it was positive. I'll let you go because there's a lot of feedback, Brady, but thank you very much. Tony, good morning. Hang on a second. Let me just, let me do this right and get it right. Tony, there you are. Appreciate it. Um, another positive experience. What, what was your own situation? Hello, is that Neil? Yeah, go ahead, Tony, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I was above there in the, the region there uh, seven weeks ago uh, with a suspected um, a stroke, right? I woke up in the morning about eight o'clock and I couldn't speak or couldn't walk. God, so couldn't get I, out of the bed. And next day I was brought in at uh, 11 o'clock by my, my son-in-law and uh, the doctor phoned ahead 
and they were above their fair play waiting with a wheelchair. But also, so, fair play to you and your son-in-law that he drove you in and uh, you didn't feel you needed an ambulance, which is which is a good thing to do. Well done. No, and I, I went in there and it was exactly 20 minutes when they were working on me and his team, Dr. Daly, that's been a specialist, Mr. Daly. They walked on me inside there and they brought me in and out of different X-ray rooms and done the top to bottom with me. And at about three o'clock or so, I was told by my daughters, I was brought up to where the ward A above up upstairs. And the way they looked after me and everything, I was in there for 12 days and they discovered after nine days because they were working on me that it was a touch of vertigo, which was bad vertigo. Because any time that they brought me to therapy, right, which would be after four or five days, I was gone out. I, I, I knocked me, myself out, like, you know. So the, Any kind of strenuous activity at all, you'd, you'd collapse? That, 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 that's correct. That's, that's, what, that's what they were putting it out to because what I, was doing, I was doing something stupid the day before, actually. You know what I mean? So they, they walked on me. Cutting down a there. tree, is it? Or cutting a hedge or cutting the grass or building a wall or something yeah. daft like that? That's what I was doing, putting a hole in the, uh, put a wash, put a washing machine in the wall. And uh, they turn around and all I can say is that they were fantastic up there everywhere. The catering, the staff, and everything they were, he came to me every morning for the 12 months I was there, Mr. Daly. So, and, and, that, and that's fantastic. And I'm so delighted to hear the positive. But I just wanted to be like that for everybody. Maybe I'm living in cloud cuckoo land. What do you think? No, 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 no. I mean, that's sincerely or not, no. I mean, I know there'd be people there, like, I mean, but I suppose maybe I just wanted the luckiest person. But I must say, like, that's the catering and everything above there. They were just fantastic. Delighted. Like, the staff, I thought staff being above there, unfortunately, being, being abused and being called names and everything, like, you know? That's just wrong. It's totally wrong. And what do they know? do in a situation where someone is calling them names? So, like, when you're a patient, as you know, inside the hospital... Right? So that the nurses have to be put up for everything. So you could call them whatever you want them because, as you know, like they're taking medicine. So you can't bring them up for being racist or anything. Oh, some you know? of them are, 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 are racist abuse. Racist abuse, yeah. You know, it was, yeah. Desperate. As you know, no one could come in to see them. Some people were, were giving out about that. Was some that racist were, abuse and name calling in the ward yeah. or in the A&E? In the ward, in the ward, in the, in the, in, in the ward, it was, it was a, it was a disgrace, like, you know, these, these, these people ran out off their feet, like, you know what I mean? And they could hear, it's not as if they couldn't hear what was being said to them or what the name calling, they could. It was actually being said to their face, Neil. I'm talking to their face, to their face, not behind their back. And was it was it was it was it just racist abuse or was there all sorts of different kinds of abuse? You know, they wanted we say like there was there was six in each ward, right? But there might be three people at the one time would want to one nurse at the one time. Do you know what I mean? But and what I'm trying to work out is were they only were they only abusing say black medical staff or Asian medical staff? That's yeah, that's. The, that's it, yeah. Were, like, people from other countries. Yeah, you know, people from other countries. Yeah. yeah. And I got, I'm with him great, and I had pictures of him and everything when he was coming home, and I had no wobble with him, and you don't give no a hug in my head, I got. I mean, that's just... <sighs> that's depressing God. to hear that. And when you heard this racist abuse from somebody yeah. in another bed, did you ever say anything to them? 
What? Excuse me. I did. I did. I said, to say, we're all humans. Say, and, and that girl over there. Says, and the other girl there, I said. There's no need to say for that carry-on. Says, I said, yes, I said, they're, they're trying to get on with their job and they can't be looking after everybody at the same time. Did you say you can't be calling them names or saying things like oh, that? I did. I did one-to-one. One, That's me. One-to-one. One. I wouldn't have anyone get away with that. And what did they say to you, the abusers, the racists? Yeah, just some of them said to me, so I mean, to a new world, so I'll have it to do with you. Mind your own What's business, guy. That's the cock we are, like, like you know, I'll have it to do with you, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. put it a couple of words with it, like, you know what I mean? Well, fair play to you for piping up anyway. No, no, but anyway, thanks very much for that. Cheers, Cheers Tony. That, like, Lovely chatting with you. Fair play, yeah. good man, corks through and through. Back after 11, text 0868 Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. I suppose you could be dealing with this topic for days, but uh, I will come back to it, I promise you. That. Just a few texts. Um, Iga says, I was in the A&E about a month ago. I was taken by ambulance, ambulance from work. The A&E department was extremely busy. I was given to bed within three hours of my arrival time. The nurses and the doctors were trying to do their best I was well looked after considering what was going on down there. I wouldn't fault the staff at all. So it's important to have balance and also to accentuate the positive. So in there a few weeks ago, my 74-year-old mother, the hospital, wanted us to go up. She was left sitting in a chair overnight for 18 hours. She has COPD, heart failure and type 2 diabetes. We walked out eventually without getting the last lot of our results. We couldn't take it anymore. It's not the staff's fault, but something better needs to be done. You know what? If there were texts 30 years ago, that text would have sat up 30 years ago and nothing's changed. Rachel says, same thing happened to my dad. He was having breathing difficulties unrelated to COVID. And he was sat in a chair for a full day and a half. Sat in a chair a day and a half, 36 hours before he was seen. There were elderly people and people with kids who were all in the same boat. The nurses do their best for sure, but honestly, it just is an absolute disgrace. I'm an Indian nurse who was delighted to come to your lovely country to work. I've worked here for five years now. I have one child and my husband is a security worker, an Indian nurse. We worked, we work opposite shifts. So there were all, so we always have the care for our child. We could not never ever afford childcare in this country, Ireland. This puts a lot of stress on us as we rarely see each other except in passing. Uh, they do opposite shifts. So somebody's always with the kids. Most of our money goes on rent for a very small two bedroom apartment. The second bedroom will only fit a cot in it for our little one and a small tiny locker. Three weeks ago, our rent went from 1450 to 1850 a jump of €400. Euro. That's all my husband's monthly salary and some of mine gone. We begged the landlord to reconsider, but he said we have to pay up or get out. We've searched our hearts and souls and we cannot afford to live in your beautiful country any longer. It is just too expensive. Morale is so low in the hospital, as in all hospitals. We are worked to our bones. Every day, some member of our nursing staff breaks down with stress, the stress of caring for so many patients. It's become too much for all of us. I'm so stressed going to work that I vomit before I go in. I feel so ill with the stress. It's a far cry from what I thought it would be like. I watch so many of my friends emigrate to Australia. Every day, more and more of my colleagues who are Irish, Indian, every nationality are leaving this country And now I and my family have also made the decision to leave beautiful Ireland. I love Ireland. Everyone is so nice, but life is just too hard here. Pay is very low for nurses. Conditions are so bad and it's only getting worse. I'm tired of vomiting from stress. 
I'm tired of never seeing my husband and being so tired from my child. I'm tired of the high levels of stress in work where we are always dangerously short-staffed. Imagine that, dangerously short-staffed. I'm tired now of how it is so expensive here. I wish to thank all of the Irish people for welcoming us with open arms. We always felt part of society. We had hoped our child would grow up here, but it is sadly not to be. Until the Irish government starts respecting nurses and paying them properly, then Ireland is in big trouble. They will continue to leave. They will not attract nurses to the country to ease the short staffing, and your great nurses will always have to emigrate. They really need to stop greedy landlords from forcing so many families into homelessness and onto the streets. It is just so terrible. And nurses in Ireland, you need a better union. The nurses' union is letting us all down. I'm saddened that Ireland's government has failed so many of us. I wish you all so much love and luck. And that's from an Indian nurse who can't take it anymore and is leaving to greener pastures, wherever that may be. I'll come back to this. You can text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 1850104106. As a man, right, have a listen to these symptoms. These are the symptoms of uh, perimenopause and menopause. And these symptoms and this pain and discomfort and anxiety and stress and worry only affects women. So very quickly, night sweating, hot flushes, cold flushes, vertigo, dizziness, irritability, restless leg syndrome, mood swings, low mood, anxiety, panic attacks, aggression, rage, palpitations, overwhelmed, lack of focus, poor memory, poor concentration, insomnia, poor quality sleep, muscle cramps, incontinence, urgency, achy joints and muscles, sore, painful breasts, changes in periods or loss of periods, headaches, migraines, uh, vaginal dryness, painful sex, low sex drive, loss of libido, skin changes, changes in fingernails, bad breath, bleeding sensitive gums, burning mouth and tongue, tingling, electric shock sensations, facial hair, hair loss and thinning, weight gain, sinus issues, itchy skin, allergies, tinnitus, changing body odor, digestive issues, bloating and fatigue. I mean, that is the longest list of symptoms that I've ever read. I'm not suggesting for a moment that all women get all symptoms, but I imagine they get a lot of them. Uh, I came across um, um, a a conversation, actually, because you can't open a newspaper or a magazine these days without seeing women's stories on menopause and perimenopause, and a very important national conversation on women's health has been started. And it's not going away, thankfully. And for many, many decades, hundreds of years, perhaps thousands of years, women just suffered in silence and just felt that it was just, the change of life, as they say, but reading the list of symptoms that women suffer, sometimes for 10, 15 years or more. I mean, it's just extraordinary. Anyway, the article that I read uh, was an RSVP article that they also shared on live. And it was the story of Emma Hearn, who started, I suppose it would have been perimenopause first um, uh, and then uh, ovarian failure at 37. Incidentally, I've also come across other stories of even younger than that. Emma joins me by phone. Emma, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Good. What about that? What about that checklist? Those symptoms? I mean, that's got to be thirty or forty alone. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't have suffered from all of those. No, symptoms, I'm not suggesting but it. But yeah, like take your pick. Come on, Mike. and absolutely. And you know, even I say a lot of women wouldn't even recognise a lot of those symptoms as menopausal symptoms. So I think it's an important topic for us to be covering. You know. And was it something that you hadn't expected in your life until? What, 55, 60, 65, that kind of thing? Uh, I'll be honest, I'd never thought about it at all. I'd never thought about what age I'd reach it. I, it never crossed my mind. 
because uh, at that so stage I, of your life, it's not on the, the road map yet. Yeah, I understand. No, no, no. It's just about getting through with small kids every day is what's on the road map. So, yeah, for me, it was a huge shock. Um, I had been suffering the symptoms for a while and they kind of went amiss. We were trying different things. I thought I'd first to go. Um, you know, it wasn't until I kind of pushed and further investigated it that um, it transpired that it was menopause, actually. And it wasn't perimenopause. I actually kind of catapulted into menopause. And how, what were the first warning signs? Did I read exhaustion, constant exhaustion, was it? Yeah, so like I would have, because I had twins as well and an older little girl at the time, I just thought that exhaustion was part of the course. And um, it wasn't until they kind of started school and I had just that little bit extra time that I just couldn't, I couldn't go about my day. I had to go back to bed after they went back to school. And that's not really who I am. You know, I'm energetic. Mm. I I kind of lead a healthy lifestyle. So for me, that just didn't add up. Then, of course, there was, I believe, bloating. And this is overwhelming because the, straight away you started thinking cancer, did you? No, it wasn't straight away, actually. But as time was going on and, you know, I was after developing a bit of anxiety from that as well. So I was just imagining the worst. I was just saying there has to be something at the root of it. Um, so I just convinced myself yeah that it, that I had some sort of cancer and um, it was but actually in hindsight it was the um, I had cysts on my ovaries which pushed me to actually get um, a pelvic ultrasound done and it was that sonographer that said to me um, I should get my ovaries checked actually because they, they look older than they should for my age Okay so at this stage Penny still wasn't dropping was it a blood test or a GP picked up that actually you have started yeah. Yeah, it was it was through bloods afterwards. So I'd had my bloods done because of the, the exhaustion, but my hormone levels hadn't been checked as part of that. So we went back and, che- and checked the hormone levels. Yeah, and they had I had literally catapulted into menopause. How, how did you react to that news? How did that make you feel, as I say, at, at 39? Well, you know, on one side, I was glad that there was actually a root to the problem. But on the other side, that was it was something I wasn't ready for. You know, psychologically, it was a bitter pill to swallow, to be honest. Now, I I hadn't intended having any more children anyway. But, you know, I felt that was my decision to make. And then I felt the decision had been taken away from me. And I just felt my body had kind of let me down a little bit. Mm, mm, You know, I felt tired. I felt old. And I, I didn't really feel that I should be experiencing that at that age. Yeah, there's a very powerful paragraph in your, in, your, in your article where you say, as well as the lack of information and support, you struggled with your own sense of identity. You said, of course I was glad it wasn't an illness, but I still had to process that I was 38, menopausal, and I really struggled. I felt old, unattractive. I was about to turn 39. My 40s were approaching. I felt past my sell-by date, uh, I had a sense of, that's it for me now. Yeah, I did actually, I did feel that. And, you know, I I did, you know, the way I suppose, I was looking back to my 20s and 30s where it was all kind of, you know, engagements and weddings and babies and all real big positive life experiences. And then I was faced with this 
and there was definitely that sense of where to from here, you know. And some of the yeah, I know. And some of the other um, these aren't symptoms actually. The act, these are actually happening. This is because we spoke about exhaustion, and you'd wake during the night with aches and pains. But I was very interested about about brain fog. Talk to me about that. Yeah. Oh God. You would have yeah. to write things down. Is it? Yeah. So I, I like during the day, I get this kind of sense of panic of, oh my, what day? Like, where am I meant to be? What day is it? I can't even describe the the brain fog that came with it. Um, I had to question everything. I had to I had to put alarms in my phone for everything and write everything down in relation to the kids. Um, everything. Yeah, the brain fog was. Unbelievable, actually. And you could be mid-sentence and, what, lose your train? Just forget what you were talking about, is it? Yeah, completely forget. Now, it can, it can still happen to me today and it's not the menopause, but, you know, it's just that sense of um, I feel under pressure to try and concentrate on what I was doing all well, the time. Was any Because you described that as embarrassing, you would lo- lose your train of thought. Yeah. Was anybody picking up on it, your partner or friends, that you were having the conversations with? Um, you know, I suppose my husband knew that I just wasn't right. He, you know, because of the fact that everything else that was going with it, like we knew there was something that wasn't connecting up. Um, so for me, the whole, the brain fog thing, I would feel it more when I was under pressure. So it would probably be more if I was talking to somebody that I didn't know and I was concentrating really hard to actually get the words out. Because you'd almost be thinking to yourself, is this early Alzheimer's? I didn't know, like all of those things went through my head. Yeah. And that's the truth. I just didn't have a clue. But, you know, I suppose to to be, uh, to come out, like I have come out the other side of it and I definitely, you know, got an energy from it. Like I took the whole, is this it for me? And I kind of turned it on its head. You know, I I could see that actually I had my family. I was really lucky in that regard that I had had my children. I didn't want anymore. Um, so I was able, when when the fog lifted, I was able to see all the positive things um, when the fog honest. lifted, had you already come through because of the hormone imbalance? Because um, I know that you would you would cry a lot, um, that your emotions were all over the place. You would you would I imagine there was frustration, and, and you wrote about being angry a lot. Yeah, well, it was just I, I suppose any woman who's ever you know had PMT or any sort of hormones going on, you you just know it's a different type of anger. It's you know, somebody's breathing can actually annoy you. Like, and it was like that. That's the way I felt a lot of the time was that I'd just get angry about things that wouldn't normally unsettle me. Let's say. And is is this so? What what ultimately happened then? Did you did you go on a course of of HRT? Yeah. Well, hey, I'm on HRT. Yeah. HRT is an ongoing thing for me. Yeah. So it just took a bit of tweaking and we had to try a couple of different strengths on that, but eventually found the one that that worked for me. And women have to pay for all treatment, right? They have to pay for the treatment. They have to pay for the HRT. They have to pay for all of the meds. They have to pay for all of the physio that would be needed because there was a lot of muscle issues there. All of the costs have to be paid for. Yeah, they sure do. And actually, interestingly... 
when I was in Spain last year, the the actual HRT that I get here, I think it was 18 euro something here. It was three euro something in Spain. And why do why do women tolerate that that they they that this isn't being provided free? But I suppose it's the same for the um, contraceptive pill. That's you know you have to pay for that as well. Um, I don't know. I don't know is the answer to that. Do, like, I mean, a lot more women are talking now, aren't they? Uh, which has got to be a good yeah. thing. And I think that's the, you know, we need to take the mystery out of it. We need to kind of share. I think my own opinion is that the more that we share each other, the more we can support each other, you know. Um, I do think that opening up the conversation, you know, with our kids, making it normal, taking the mystery out of everything to do with women's health is a big step in the right direction. And why was it something that wasn't spoken about before, do you think? Um, was think it embarrassment or self-conscious? I think, it's a cult- I think it's a cultural thing. You know, for me, I mean, even when I was initially in menopause, I didn't say the words even for a while because I was ash- I, I, I suppose I felt a bit of shame around it. Because of your know, age, is it? I well, I just think because we're not used to speaking so openly about these things. Because I know that Dr. Mary Ryan, who who deals with issues related to women's health, say says uh, women are not depressed; they're not getting dementia. It's a hormone imbalance. It can be extremely uh, distressing. But in spite of all of that, she says it's a lack of knowledge that women aren't as aware as they should be. Absolutely. And that's, that's, I completely agree with that. Like even for myself, I, it was the furthest thing from my mind, you know, and even since that article, actually, since I wrote the article and people have come to me um, that I wouldn't even be in regular touch with, you know, thanking me for actually sharing my story and that they're questioning themselves and, you know, just for opening up the conversation. So I think, I think we're ready to take it to the next level. You know, I think we're ready to open up the conversation and to learn more about it and to be as informed as we possibly can. In the sense that she says that it is the second chapter of women's lives, but it should be seen as a positive chapter in their lives, not something to be feared. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, once, once I did process it and come to terms with it, I saw it just as that, you know, kind of the sense that I have still plenty to give, you know. I would, I would imagine that for a long, 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 long time, a lot of the symptoms that I've described, or indeed your, yourself there that you described as with regards to your emotions, would have been prescribed antidepressants? Possibly still are? Possibly so, you know. Um, that's it. I think that's nearly a conversation for another day, but for sure, I think that... Um, that we can help ourselves more than we probably historically have been helping ourselves. But do you think that GPs have, this is not a question that you can answer if that's okay, but that a lot of GPs may not have the experience in dealing with menopause. They only maybe do a quick course in college and don't perhaps oh, update yeah. their knowledge. No, I would agree with that because it's it, like even to be seen, I suppose they're afraid nearly because you see, it is kind of a thing that one size doesn't fit all. It's so varied. It's so 
vast that it's, it would be difficult to for them to specialize. You know, you need to do a specialist to be yeah. a consultant, I yeah. guess, to to give the proper information on it. But I think that you know, to, it's it's becoming because it's becoming more and more spoken about. I think that GPs are going to have to kind of get on board with that. Um, do GP do GPs do they administer HRT easily enough? Yeah, I wonder. they can prescribe it. Yeah, but, but they prescribe. Are they willing to do that? Well, like it, I mean, I've heard a lot of women have to fight it. for it. Well, I didn't have to fight for it because of the fact that I my body needed it so badly. I needed the estrogen from the HRT because my body wouldn't have been able to sustain itself. So how did you flip that negative to a positive then finally? Was it just coming to terms with this is just the circle yeah, of life? exactly. You know, um, it is the circle of life. I went back to college. I'm back studying college. I just see that there's more to be achieved and that's where, that's how I feel about it personally. To be an advocate for more information and more knowledge is a powerful thing. Well done. Thanks, Neil. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for taking the call, Emma. Good luck. Cheers. Thanks. Bye. Your thoughts are welcome. One eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Very open. Very honest. Uh, thank you for that. Your thoughts are welcome. It is a conversation that thankfully more and more people are having. When you read out that list of symptoms, I mean, it's in, it's it's incredible. It really and truly is. And again, this is something that only affects women and we need to be cognitive of that. Text 0868104106. I see text coming in it already. Here's an interesting one. Women have estrogen receptors in every part of their body and that's why it has such a major impact on women's physical and mental health when the estrogen depletes. It's a hormone deficiency. So many women are just given antidepressants and sent on their way. That doesn't help. And those symptoms that you read out can last well into your 70s in some cases. Another person is suggesting that people have to fight. A lot of GPs really do not have the experience in dealing with menopause. Um, it's a major issue. GPs are not administering HRT easily. A lot of women have to fight for it. Do you notice there, Emma, talking about the cost of HRT treatment here versus the cost of it in Spain? And one more for now. These days, a lot of women are starting to take body identical HRT to relieve a lot of the symptoms. Um, But it's costly and people have to pay. Women have to pay for all their own medicines that women might need. Uh, The Irish Menopause is a great page for women on Facebook. Apparently it has 26,000 members and is growing every day. That's got to be a good thing. Check that out, the Irish Menopause on Facebook. Thanks to Emma. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851-04106. Red FM. Uh, With regards to a housing list, very short one here. Just had to say, after listening to your callers last week on waiting lists, I was finally housed last year after 23 years. Fact. 23 years on a housing list. Hard to believe, isn't it? A lot of different emails and different topics we've been dealing with recently. I don't want to come on air, but I do want to highlight the absolute joke of a health system we have. My granddad is 76 years of age was in a crash on Saturday. He was extremely lucky not to be severely injured, but he still ended up with head injuries, cuts and glass in his head. He's brought to the CUH, waited 14 hours before he was seen. This is after a uh, car crash on Saturday, 14 hours. He was uh, talking to other patients who've been up there 24 hours. Is this the norm? Um, Have we just accepted this? Do we not deserve better from our health system? Why are our politicians and leaders so relaxed when it comes to this Um, But they're trigger happy when it comes to getting that little raise every year. They want us to accept how multinational corporations benefit billions from our tax haven 
while we watch a consistently broken, inefficient healthcare system. It won't change anytime soon. How can it even be changed when the best we can do is vent to a radio station? This is Ireland in 2021. Uh, and others that actually do, um, out of desperation sometimes, get in touch with programs like this. I'd appreciate it if you didn't give out my name because I know my family and others would know it's me. Uh, my eating disorder started seven years ago with the death of my mother. This is from another topic we dealt with last week. Um, I completely stopped eating. I was grief-stricken. I don't know how I carry on each day. In this time, I lost my grandson, niece and brother. Our family home was sold out from underneath us and left three of us homeless. I was lucky in that I found a place to live, but it was in the country. Feeling lonely and isolated and now in a deep depression, I really wanted to end it all. My doctor was no help. My life to me was pointless. I could not attend my own two daughters' weddings, nor my grandchildren's christening because of this deep depression. I don't go to family occasions because I know they would say how horribly thin I look. I'm 62 and it seems like nothing gets better. If I eat anything, it's going to come back up. If anyone is listening who can give me any advice, I would be so grateful. I'm sick of crying myself to sleep at night as I don't want to wake up. So much sadness and tragedy hit your life. Um, You say seven years ago with the death of your mother. That's when with being stricken with grief, you stopped eating, probably didn't have the appetite. And then the death of a grandson, niece and brother, the family home being sold from under you, being homeless. Is it any wonder, um, you know, that you're going through a very, very difficult time of it? And I understand where the depression has come from because of that. I'm fortunate about your doctor's scenario, not being able to help. But if you if you could pick up the phone um, now and call this number, it's the Eating Disorder Centre in Cork. Now, they will deal with your eating disorder. They will deal with the physicality of it and the emotional situation you find yourself in. That would be a good first step, okay? And that number is 453-9900. I do not know um, whether there is um, a waiting list. I, I do not know how busy they are. Um, but I would still encourage you to make the call. Eating Disorder Centre in Cork, 453-9900. It could be the first step to uh, literally saving your life. Lines open on one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Text 0868104106. So I'll come back to all that and, and lots more besides. Just one final point, though. If you have a story to share with regards to perimenopause or menopause, um, it would be good for you to do so because there's one part of the article that Emma Ahern wrote where she said, when she felt at the time, in the early stages of, of the change and what she was going through, she said, I felt I had no one to talk to about it or to anyone that could understand. And she said, it was something... That she said, I believed that it was something I was going through alone. I'm quite sure she felt that she was the only woman going through what she was going through at the time. And of course, that couldn't be further from the truth. Email neil at uh, redfm.ie. Meanwhile, uh, I think we may have found uh, Cork's worst road. Here's a section of audio from an actual video that Michael posted at the weekend. He's driving along on what you could not call a road. I think it's about a a 200 meter stretch that he drove along. I mean, there's no point me explaining it to you because he does it very well himself. Now, the entire video clip with the commentary is about four, four and a half minutes long, right? Um, So it's about 200 meter of road in Churchtown. Um, Churchtown South, actually, not too far from Cloyne. Now, the video is up on uh, the Red FM Facebook page in full. I mean, I watched it. Sometimes I say, 
oh my god that's a four and a half minute video I wouldn't be able to watch it it's too long <laughs> I watched the whole thing I mean I just couldn't you just couldn't believe it and this is about 90 seconds of it so it's up on Red FM's Facebook page and it's up on my Twitter page as well at Neil Red FM this is Michael McCarthy what you see before you know is the state of the road that I'm actually living on I've been on to the council, I've been on to councillors, I've been on to everybody. What you see on the, on the right hand side there is a school. This is what we're dealing with now. And this is the good bit. I was going to play this to the sound of my lovely horse, but I wouldn't bring a horse up this second road because he'd break his bloody legs. There's cars driving into the ditch on either side of the road. Because you can't drive on the bloody road, because as you can see, there's next to no feckin' road there. The council, they come along, they throw a dollop of into a hole, hit it with the back of a shovel, two days later, it's back again, there's another bloody hole there. What you see down there now, all the dark patches, they're hollows and lumps, so what you have is, where you don't have a hole, you have a hump. To the point that if, you, if you're not busting your suspension on potholes, you're busting it on humps. It's like constantly going over a non-stop rumble strip. Like, as you can see, like the bloody potholes are huge. And they're everywhere. Like, there's no avoiding them with this tension. I've contacted councillors and they point blank blanked me. I put a post up last week where I tagged all the councillors. The tags were removed. So, who removed them? I have no idea. There are two people on wheelchairs living on this road. There's a third person who is a senior citizen living on this road. None of them feel safe to walk on this road because the bloody road is that bad. This is only the first sort of 200 metres of the road. The road is about three quarters of a mile long and it gets just as bad, if not worse, the further down the road you go. So that's just a section of his commentary with video. Michael joins me by phone. Michael, good morning. Good morning, how are you doing? I'm good, I tell you something boy, watching that video it's like as if you're a war correspondent driving through a war zone you should be a war correspondent or maybe a sports commentator because your commentary is fantastic but I tell you something, it's just it's going to be on farce to get at this stage That's the worst the road. road I have ever seen in my life Yeah, and we are dealing with that with 18 years, at least the 18 years that I'm living in that road Oh my God! Like the the, the, odd, the odd lop of tarmac goes into a few of the holes, pat it down with a shovel, useless. This I think this has been going on with literally. I like it's going on a lot longer than I'm living. I'm living there eighteen years, and every couple of years the council come along and they'll throw a shovel of stuff into a hole, beat it with a shovel. That'll do them for maybe a month until the hole comes back in. Then you don't see them for two more years until could, the hole is a crater. But you couldn't throw tarmac into all those holes. You'd be a full-time a tarmac of, thrower. Not only that, but they do it when the road is wet. So they're throwing shovels of tar into pools of water. <laughs> Never seen and the like of it. What are you driving, incidentally? Because I hear crashing and banging and suspension I, going... I have, a, I, have a Renault, I have a Renault traffic van. God almighty. Like it costs... It cost me a thousand euros a year in suspension pass for that van. I was just and about to ask. Much, yeah, pretty much the same for my car. Tires, constant bursting tires, busting. So like the last week and a half in the car, I put a whole front left suspension set up into it because it came up through the wing. You can't avoid them. You know, you're talking no. about driving in the ditch and trying to stay out of their way, but that won't do it. No, my, uh, my young fella actually made a point to ask, the fa- would, I, would I ask the farmer next door if he could actually drive across his field because his field is less bumpy than the road. 
And nobody will visit you because of that road, is that no, right? No, no, I literally, they, my friends have point blank refused to drive up the road. And uh, the problem, uh, even like, um, I build bikes as a kind of a, a kind of a part-time kind of a thing. Yeah. And two or three, two or three years, three years ago, I was building a bike for a, show, a trike for a show in Dublin. I had to go into the council and get four tons of tar and fill the potholes myself because the council refused to come out and fill them. Four tons of tar and a shovel. That hunt, that two hundred yard stretch on the video, I filled it personally myself and my two sons with four tons of tar, just so they could drive down the road two years ago. How long did it last? Your four tons of tar. It, it don't last. Not that's, that's the problem. It doesn't last because the. The, because of the fact they, uh, the the, the, the ground underneath it, there's no road there. So there's nothing for the tar. Was there ever a flat, pristine surface there? My neighbour is 86 years old and she said she remembers the road being tarred when she was a child. Because we got on to Cork County Council on your behalf. They call it a local tertiary road. Do you know what that means? I haven't a clue. Is it just like a boreen they're suggesting? No, that road has got a school on it. It's got two businesses running out of it. It's got, uh, it's actually a through road at, at the other end of that road, about a half a mile or three quarters of a mile beyond that, there's a national school. So what you have is you have a lot of parents who have children in the, the, the school that's on the video, and that's a Montessori school. There's 30 kids at least. It, like is, it is a road that's used for all sorts so of businesses. So it's a road that's used non-stop. It's, it's, it's a proper, full-blown, busy road. It's a proper road. to and from every single day. Yeah. They're saying that those roads aren't strengthened with the same frequency as other roads, but like they've ignored it for decades, clearly. They have ignored Yes, that road has never been strengthened, ever. So we contacted them, and they did say this thing about the tertiary road, and they say they got 12, they've got 12,000 kilometres of these all over County Cork and they don't have enough money and they said an upgrade takes place once every 30 years on average that road yeah that road hasn't been upgrade, upgraded since like I said since my neighbour said since she was a child <laughs> and, she's, and she's 86 they also said I shouldn't laugh because it's very serious they said normally what happens is that the local community people like your good self would come up with 15% of the cost and they'd pay the rest did you hear that? No, uh, but I tell you now, <laughs> I actually walked it out. Um, since I'm living in that road, I've paid over 20,000 euros in car tax. That's just, that's just in car tax alone. My, my house tax this year is going up 100 quid. Um, so they, not to mention the fact that every time I see a petrol tanker driving down the road, two thirds of that petrol tanker is, is government tax. So I think they're kind of taking the piss a small bit when they're saying to me that, uh, that they want money, that they want help for me to fix, to fix a road that they're charging me to drive on. Well, they're saying there is a scheme whereby the local community contributes 15% of the cost of the work and the remainder is costed through. The, the, it's not actually a council problem, they say. It's the Department of Transport, apparently. Do they know that you... How many tons of... T- how, how many tons of tyre again, did you say? Four. Did they know that you had literally done yes, it? they gave it to me. Oh yeah, they gave it to me. <laughs> I the guys the the the, the um at the at the at the beginning of the road there's the is a there's a big nursing home, and they were filling potholes at the time going down to that nursing home so the ambulance ambulances could go to and from the nursing home without without damaging themselves. So I approached the guys to know if they filled the potholes up my road. They said they weren't allowed, but they said call in at lunchtime. We give as much tar as you need. So I went in. I got two loads of tar off of them and filled the road myself. So, they're encur- so they encouraged you as a private citizen to go out and fill the potholes yourself and gave you four tons of tar to do it. Correct. And That's then bizarre. Charge, and then they charge a motor tax 
for the, for the privilege of driving on the road that you made drivable. Have you ever sent a bill to the County Council for suspension and burst tyres? No, because you have to get an engineer to prove that, that, that the road caused the damage to begin with. And not only do you have to get an engineer to prove that the road caused the damage, but you have to pinpoint the specific area of the road. And, uh, yeah. the, and an engineer was going to cost you four or five hundred quid. But if you were to do that, would they pay the engineer's cost if you would? Oh, yes, okay. yes, yes, they would. Like for the price of it, for what instead of them turning around and giving you the price of a tire, you end up then end up spending. You end up, they end up giving you about a thousand quid. I mean, I hope we're painting a picture of how bad it is. I would encourage people to go and look at the video. I mean, it's just the the worst I've ever seen in my entire life. It's not mm-hmm. one area. It's just a how long? That's got to be what a kilometer, maybe half a kilometer in, the, in, in that video. Yeah. Uh, no, it's not even that. No, it's um, just over there, just over half a mile, I suppose. And what kind of reaction did you get to sharing the video? Oh, huge. Absolutely huge. Um, the, the sort of the most annoying part about it is this. There's a fantastic local community down there. Um, everybody chipped in. They've all chipped in. The, the hall, at the, there's a, the village hall is at the very beginning of the video, just beside the school. That's going undergoing a huge renovation at the moment and all the money has been raised locally. So... There's a very, very strong community spirit here. The, the school is going great. There's a wonderful woman who runs the school. And uh, it's a really nice community. And the problem is that bloody just, it's just literally the state of the flipping road. And like when, where, you, where when you shared your, your concerns and maybe even the video with your local East Cork councillors, what did they do about it? I have heard from one councillor and one councillor only, and she's done her level best to chase it up and that's Danielle Toomey from Sinn Féin. She's the only councillor I've heard from and the only, t- the only TD we've heard from. We had an issue with this road about four years ago. Again, we had a meeting in the hall where all the local councillors and TDs were there and I, and I do mean the TDs and all were there and we got absolutely nothing out of it. That's t- just not so nodding heads. Re- not so much as a reply. Yeah, what's this about uh, explain tagging a councillor and then they untagged. What I, does that mean? took about three weeks ago I damaged the suspension on one of my bikes on the on the road and I got pissed off and I took a picture and put it up on Facebook and I tagged all the local council basically what I mean is I, I highlighted their names at the bottom of the description on the post yes and posted it and checked the post ten minutes later and all the names were gone how, how does that work how do I they haven't do- a clue I honestly don't know but so that's prompted me to put the video up and asking friends of mine because I, I have quite a few friends in the area asking friends of mine if they were friends with councillors to put the tag the councillors names on them because it's to be honest it's gone beyond the joke at this stage. So if they They're, took their if they took their names off the post, it's as if they were not willing to engage, didn't want to be right. part of it, didn't want to be no, seen. Yeah, exactly. deleted themselves from the conversation. Exactly. No, I must. I must sort of uh, say that, in fairness, the only one who replied to me was Daniel Toomey, and she's been really, really good. And I don't want to sort of paint her with the same. So, what are you going to do? What are you going to do next? Now you've done the video. Uh, I have no idea. I think about using the whole planting flowers or something because it's about to be honest. It's about but all seriously, there are people who are are they wheelchair bound? I have three neighbours. Um, sorry, I've my my mother in law. And neighbours either side of me, um, my neighbour, one side of me, she's in a wheelchair. Um, my mother-in-law's in a wheelchair. And um, the neighbour next door to me is a senior citizen. She's 86. Unbelievable. None, none of the three of them can use the road. They can't, like, they, like the, um, 
just come down to my place, the neighbour next door, she has to get into her car and drive the 50 yards. So, like, uh, loads of texts coming in from people. What are people paying in situations like that? Why do we pay road tax? Just hold on a second there, Michael, because I have another Michael here who's a farmer, Michael O'Sullivan. Michael? How are you doing? I'm go- Listen, in case people don't believe me, not having seen the video, how bad is it, do you think? Well, like, look, my farm passage... You can run my power farm passage where my cows will walk to the parlour without twisting your ankle. You, if you, you'd have to play hopscotch through that road and you'll still, still get, make crap of your legs. So like, your, your walkway for the cows is better than his yeah. road? Oh, far superior. When I saw the video, Anil, I went, oh my God. Like, I, I, I couldn't even believe myself. Like, there's, there's, there's craters. They're not holes. They're craters. Would there be, would there be some of them like a foot, two feet wide? Wouldn't they, Michael? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. Oh, God, yeah. See, if it was, if it was five or ten yards or the odd one, it'd be something. But it's like, it's, it's like as if they've been blitzed from the sky. The, see, the problem you're faced with is the, the bulk of that section, they've been patching potholes for so many years, there's no road left. It, all you're literally driving over is, is old patches. Well, and I, I, as a prime example, about two or three years ago, I watched the lads coming up filling the potholes. They came up with the lorry, they filled five or six potholes, they drove around the block, which is three miles, and they drove over the patches with the lorry, and they moved on to the next six potholes, and did exactly the same thing. And they were on, that, they were on my road for three days. And it doesn't make a blind that, bit of difference the next shower of rain. Absolutely. Def- and not only that, but what happens is, when they throw the tar into these puddles of water... The first night of frost, it blows all the tar out because the, the water underneath it freezes. No, it doesn't. It has never worked. I mean, it is a temporary it, solution. Very temporary. It's a temporary solution. It costs a bloody fortune. Absolutely. Can you imagine the man hours that's been used to yes. do that over and over and over again? If it was done once correctly, it wouldn't be needed to be going back to the all of the time over yeah, and over is, and over I, again. Yeah, it is. You know, it's, I tell you, it's... It's just got, it's gone beyond the joke at this stage. It really, really is. Um, like I said, those people there, they, they, it used to be a nice, people used to walk up there in the summer, they'd walk, you know, because you, you, it's, it's a lovely road to walk. It's a really nice, quiet road, lovely road to walk. Nobody walks there anymore because it's too dangerous. Well, maybe by raising it publicly and the video and this conversation and others that will come from it, maybe this will force their hand. What do you think? Well, I would hope so. In fairness, I'm, I tell you, know, I... I, I, I done a bit of sort of non staycation thing driving around the country this year with myself and uh, and uh, my girlfriend and my young fella. And we have we and we do back roads because you don't see nothing off a main road. Yeah. And we must have done a thousand miles of back roads in Ireland over the summer and not one road that I come across that was as bad as mine or even close. You wouldn't see a road like that in a Healy Ray constituency, you I'm telling right you. you wouldn't. And that's a fact. You absolutely wouldn't. <laughs> no, there'd be all... Should we have a couple of Healy Rays on Lee's side, maybe? Hmm? We, we should have... We absolutely should. We should, but no, it's it, it's an awful shame. In fairness, because uh, the, the the to my opinion anyway, the councillors should be absolutely ashamed of themselves. Like they had, they, they, it's not like they don't know about this. They've been told about this often enough. Well, I encourage people to go and look at the video if they don't believe me, if they think I'm overreacting to it. But um, thank you for sharing it. I feel I feel your pain. That is a nightmare. Hopefully, going public as an advocate for your local community will make a big difference. Will you well, stay? I hope so. Will you stay in touch? I mean, of course, absolutely. I'll send you pictures. 
better ones, I hope, than the ones you've already sent. We'll have to wait and no see. Bottom. Cheers for now, Michael. Thank you. Um, when will ordinary taxpaying people realise that their representatives, those they voted for, really couldn't care less for the most part? There may be one or two exceptions, says Mary. However, once they get elected, the main aim is to secure your position, your fantastic salary, your expenses and your pension, and also to secure a good future for your family. Those are their priorities. They really don't give a damn about the plebs who gave them this privilege in the first place, says she. Don't talk to me about it. The amount of text people going on about car tax and the reasons why we bother paying it. Back after the break, text 0868104106. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. Oh, just listen, uh, before I love you and leave you for the day, a lot of texts on different topics in the last few days, a lot of them on housing, an awful lot of them on health, and an awful lot of people then saying, um, you know, different issues and topics we've been talking about I'll get to more of those tomorrow can I just maybe finish on um, some comments that came in go look at that video on our, our Twitter, my Twitter page and the Red FM Facebook page you just wouldn't believe it uh, I wouldn't even call it a road that's a disgrace and to have schools on it my god I thought the roads in Kerry were bad they're super compared to that although others suggest that the minute you cross the border you would never see a road like that mind you I have to say uh, one of the ones that I drive a lot is the, the road into Kilorglan. I mean I thought that was the worst road I ever drove on and probably it is because I haven't driven on, on Michael's road uh, down Cloyneway. Um, but anyway, uh, other ones. I wouldn't even call it a road, right? Cork has the worst secondary roads in Ireland. All the council do is patch them up everywhere. It's a waste of money over and over again because soon we get some heavy rainfall, the potholes reappear. When will they ever learn, says Elaine? Cork roads are the worst in the country. I drove to Donegal via Sligo uh, for our summer holiday. I drove on a lot of secondary roads and they were all in such good condition. You didn't need a sign saying, welcome to Cork, as you knew you were back in Cork because of the state of our roads. And we're spending £165 now on building new roads and rail networks. (laughs) Uh, Looks like a lot of work has been put into that road. No wonder they can't do a new road to Limerick. They've obviously run out of tarmac filling that one so many times, says Kevin Reamson. The government make enough money to do so much more for communities and roads in general. It's about time someone actually made a video showing just one of the extremely bad roads we know about. Well, that's exactly what Michael did. Asher, how can you expect them to have money for the road when they can't afford to give themselves their fourth pay rise, says Kevin. Um, People should not pay road tax until the local authority fix the roads they drive on. Yeah, and then you're pulled over and you stop by the the guards or you you park your car up and you come back and you got a fine. Most of Bantry uh, is like uh, the road down uh, downtown from Beirut in Lebanon. There are potholes like shell craters. Uh, some of them like a caves, they're so big, and that's Don Bantry Way. Actually, that's a good description, really. Shell craters, I have to say. Uh, and Bernard says, all brought to you by, F- by Fianna Fáil. Like every other publicly funded service, they've underfunded and spent the money on themselves, um, or like they did before, gave us Irish water. Our lane is in the same condition, constantly smashing the car and van. Uh, I even struggled to push the bins out. They point blank told me they won't fix it. They want us to pay them a certain amount and, and, uh, and to get two TDs on side to sign off on it. Yeah, apparently you pay, the community pays 15%. The Department of Transport pays the other 85 um, Then they said they'll put us on a list and it might get done within the next four years. It's a bloody joke, to be honest. Uh, they came out once and dropped off a load of... Uh, two inch and said you can fill the holes with that not quite sure what two inches 
Chair Michael, he picked up four tons of tarmac from the council and he did it themselves. Oh, just one or two final ones before I go. Um, I am um, an emergency department nurse. I'm sure that kids under 12 don't pay 100 euro for A&E, but more importantly, please warn people about those detergent pods, the pods you put in the washing machines, the pods you put in the dishwashers. We have seen numerous kids lose sight from the serious chemical burns to the eyes. Those little pods are lethal. They're lethal because they're so attractive to a child. Isn't that the case? So thank you for that. And uh, oh, and also just one or two more. Stephanie's meningitis story is just shocking. It just goes to show how blindsided and brainwashed this country was with COVID-19. Over and over again, four COVID tests all coming back negative. I'm just worried that if she ended up in ICU with... Um, just wondering how relative it is to the actual ICU numbers over the past 20 months. If she could have been in ICU uh, as a COVID case when she actually had meningitis. Um, and then a lovely one here for Emma Hearn on our conversation with me. Thank you, Emma, for highlighting this issue of perimenopause and menopause. I'm 35 and I'm in menopause. Some of the symptoms are awful, but the worst one for me was my infertility which I really struggle to accept. So thank you for making me feel less alone. Thank you for that wonderful text. I'm sure that Emma would be delighted to hear it. There are others coming in. Text 0868104106. Email neil at redfm.ie. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.